0: Today's episode of the BS Podcast, The Ringer Podcast Network, brought to you by ZipRecruiter. The best teams start with great talent, like the Red Sox, Betts, Bogarts, Devers, Ben Tende, JD. Why isn't this team better? Great talent, at least. Uh, no one knows the importance of talent more than ZipRecruiter. They deliver qualified candidates fast, so effective. of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. My listeners can try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. Also, Mizzen in Maine makes dress shirts for men that are actually comfortable with performance fabrics that stretch and move with you all day long. These fabrics dry quickly by wicking moisture away so you never have to worry about looking like a sweaty mess. Head over to Mizzen and Main's website at .comfortable.af. Use code BS10 at checkout to receive $10 off your order. Mizzen and Maine, it's never felt better to look your best. We're also brought to you by the world's greatest website, TheRinger.com, where we're in uh, the depths of a content abyss. And yet, The Ringer is here for you. Last week, we had Tarantino week. Which I thought was a raging success, leading into uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which came out Friday. I am seeing it at some point in the next thirty six hours. So I can't wait. Uh, we did a bunch of podcasts and wrote some pieces and all kinds of things. So check that out. Hashtag Tarantino Week. And then this week, we are celebrating uh, the year in music, nineteen ninety nine. If you go uh, hashtag ninety nine music on Twitter, you can find all the stuff. Or just go to our website. Did the 40 best songs and albums from 1999, as well as uh, a whole bunch of pieces. Um, I thought this was an atrocious uh, music year, but a lot of people love it because it was a great pop year and it was like a transformative pop year in a lot of ways. There was some good rap hip hop stuff as well. It was really an abominable uh, rock music, alternative music year and set the stage for the renaissance that would happen in the O2 range, except for Californication. Um, but uh, just a bizarre music here and we're capturing all the pieces of it so check that out on the website as well coming up Jacko and Michael Rubin first our friends from Pearl Jam All right, taping this Tuesday morning. Simmons family went to Hawaii for the last uh, six days. Do you like how I snuck that by? You didn't realize I was gone. I'm really good at this now. That's why we ran uh, the Costner and Bacon podcast last week. Costner was one of my favorite ones ever, an all-timer. Bacon was great, too. Really enjoyed those. Uh, We are going to talk about um, the Yankees-Red Sox series and a bunch of – political stuff in a fun way, not in a polarizing way with Jacko. And then Michael Rubin's going to come on who is the owner of fanatics as well as a minority owner of the Sixers and uh, all that stuff. So, yeah. So I was, I was away for six days during one of the most dead content times I can remember in the last few years. It was really, really nuts. Um, It was kind of soothing in a way. It was nice. I, I missed the Tarantino movie. I'm, I'm behind on that. I'm caught up on everything else. But uh, it was really fun. It's fun when your kids get to an age when you can travel with them when they're not a complete pain in the ass and they're actually fun to hang out with. So good times all around. All right, we're going to call Jacko uh, Jack Arena. All right, it is the end of July. There is nothing going on at all in sports, barely anything in pop culture. But we do have the baseball trade deadline, which used to mean a hell of a lot And now it still means something, but I don't feel like it it has the same fervor that it used to uh, engender. Unless you're a fan of the Red Sox and the Yankees watching this whole thing. Jacko on the line. How are you, Jacko?
1: Good, buddy. How are you?
0: Um, Our teams just went at it for four straight days. It (laughs) had Boston Massacre potential. And then Chris Sale, the ace, our guy, um, once again (laughs) came up short. Do you feel like... The Yanks own Chris Sale now? What's your feeling going into these Chris Sale starts from a Yankee perspective?
1: Well, it's funny. I was down at the uh some friends of mine have a cottage down at the beach and we were I was down at the beach on Sunday and with a bunch of guys and and some of them are Yankee fans and some of them are Red Sox fans and so we were talking about, you know, how horrid the Yankees had been and I said, you know, we were talking about it was a Sunday night baseball game, and I frankly was so disgusted, I didn't know who was, I knew Herman was pitching for the Yankees, but I hadn't paid attention to who was pitching for the Red Sox, and so one of my buddies said, oh, Chris Sale's pitching, and I was kind of like, ooh, and then I thought about it for a second, and I was like, ooh, (laughs) it really didn't, you know, a couple years ago, that would have been like, oh, that's a loss, forget about it, but not so much anymore, because he, he's been a little shaky, and that was uh, borne out on Sunday night. So, yeah, he yeah. doesn't put the fear of God into me that I once had.
0: Yeah, we have this trade deadline, and everybody wants the Red Sox to get, you know, some closer, and Edwin Diaz is getting thrown around, although I don't think that's realistic at all. Uh, Shane Green, the immortal Shane Green is in the hey, mix. former Yankee. I'm not sure that's that realistic either. To me, the bigger issue is, is the whole sale thing, because... Eduardo Rodriguez is kind of turning into the ace of the Red Sox. that wasn't really part of our part of our game plan. Uh, I feel like they can patch together the bullpen and kind of hope and pray of all they can come back. But uh, the sale thing I'm just flummoxed by because when you watch it, when you watch the inning by inning start by start with him, it's like the shitty guys in the lineup that end up getting him, you know?
1: Yeah, a, it, Austin Romine hit one. Not, yeah, not to say he's Austin, shitty, but he's not a frontline superstar. No. Austin Romine went deep the other night, and um,
0: he went I really think Urshel, deep.
1: That Urschella hit one, or uh, Ur- did something too.
0: Yeah, so. he, he had two bombs, and it's it's those are the guys that keep getting him. It's like he can't sustain it through the whole lineup. So, you know, I it's weird because this Red Sox team, the offense, the top four now, this one, yeah. two, three, four we have might be the best one, two, three, four we've ever had. Just like, I, I, it's, it's like just a gauntlet. Endeavors is out of his mind now. And you go through that and you just feel like, how are we not, how are we not, how are we 10 games back or nine games back? Now it's like eight games back, but how is this even possible with these four guys? You have to be, you have to be scared going through that gauntlet.
1: The four and in the last column. Yeah, as much as Chris Chris Sale did not put the uh, fear of God into me, your, your lineup absolutely does. And for however many years I've made fun of Hall of Famer Alexander Bogart. except a guy sent me a tweet last week, and he's like, e- "That might actually be one." And I was like, "Jesus, he might actually be." And he's been out of his mind. And J.D. Martinez is phenomenal, and Mookie Betts is now heated up. So yeah, it's a it's a it's the top half of your lineup. But the, uh, anyway, is very good. And Ben Intendi always kills the Yankees for some reason. He's sort of mediocre against everybody, but he lights it up against the Yankees, which is the opposite of what Aaron Judge does, where he's pretty good against everybody and awful against the Red Sox.
0: Yeah, Ben Intendi um, had hit this point where we were all kind of looking at each other going, wait, is this not going to happen? Because we're talking like a year-long sample size going back to last summer. I think it was like 160 games. He had nine homers. It just didn't seem like he had the power that it seemed like he was going to have. He seemed like a fine player, but I was ready for this to be like Fred Lynn 2.0, and it was like, oh man, right. this isn't happening. And I think he just got in his own head. Now he's starting to come out of it. But the 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 guy for the Red Sox is is Devers. Hey, I, I
1: was yeah, he's been big
0: the last three months. His stats are basically as good as any Red Sox hitter we've had. Really, since <laughs> I can't even remember, I was I've been <laughs> on a whole bunch of text chains, trying to figure out if he's the best young Red Sox player of my lifetime. How about that, Johnny?
1: Wow, I, I can't believe you're throwing your idol Fred Lynn under the bus. I know.
0: Like I went. I you know I was. You
1: carried a Fred Lynn baseball card I still in your have wallet. It. You may still to this day, and you're 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 downgrading him for Devers, Raphael Devers.
0: So Devers is twenty two. He's still, I think, one of the youngest everyday starters in the league. And if you look at like what he's done the last three months, and not just like what the stats are, you know, I could list all these stats for you. I, I, one of the things I think everybody hates about baseball now is it just becomes this he's you know, heavy. We're, yeah, we're like scientists like giving our formulas. Well, if you look at, it, uh, all right. I, the stats will back up what I'm saying. He's just hitting the shit out of the ball. And there was this one stat. I do you like the mile an hour stat where they
1: talk about on the hit, on the stat cast the hits? You mean
0: yeah, but like how how fast the ball comes off somebody's bat? I kind of enjoy that one. I think it's informative. And Devers has Devers, I think, has the best mile an hour ball coming off the bat. Whatever the fuck that stat is, right? right. Uh,
1: but he's only well, twenty two. Things like it's a new stat, but you have nothing to base it against, really. Like because there's no historical perspective of like. You know that home run was 113 miles an hour, and you're like, "Wow, that's, that's pretty fast." But like, I don't know, did Willie Mays hit one routinely 125? I don't know. You know,
0: yeah, it would seem I like
1: it's good. You're hitting it hard. It's, you know, that's that's good. Do you want that? I mean, they do it on singles now too in Yankees games where Judge hits a single up the middle, and they're like, "Ooh, that was the hardest hit single in two months." And go, yeah, that's good. You know, I guess it's good contact. You were right on it.
0: I think baseball is just so boring now that everybody has to figure out all these 124 miles an hour. It's like, okay, that sounds cool. So, (laughs) so Devers, listen to this, Johnny, 79 games going back to April 25th. He's hitting 344, 385 on base, 641 slugging, 21 homers, 77 RBI. That that's up there with just about any Red Sox streak we had. So I was like thinking, because my dad and I were texting about it. I was like, is Devers... Is What's going on here? I feel like this is the best young guy we've ever had. And I went through all the stats. Fred Lynn, I think, was 23 and 75. Um Nomar, obviously, he was a little bit older, but kind of in the ballpark. But Mookie Betts really... You know, three years ago was when he really took off. He was 23. Bogarts is only 26 now. Um, But for what he's doing now... And I was thinking, like, is this... Is this George Brett? So I went back and I was looking at the George Brett stats from the seventies, and that's kind of who he reminds me of. Like he might be our George Brett, Johnny. He might be in your life for the next twenty years. I'd be ready.
1: Well, I, I hope he's not George Brett because George Brett used to murder the Yankees. So let's, let's so hope does he's, not George Brett.
0: he's a line drive machine. So yeah, he'd
1: he'd, he'd probably be a pretty good backup to uh, DJ Lemayhu or Glaber Torres on the Yankees. I think so.
0: Because I was thinking about,
1: he'd have a valuable bench role on the Yanks <laughs> infield.
0: <laughs> well, I was thinking about. I I think Bets will resign. I'm not worried about that. And Bets doesn't
1: he want a Mike Trout contract though?
0: Well, I think he's probably worth it. We're, you're going to give
1: right? him a Mike Trout contract on top of what you're paying Price and Sale and all the other contract. And he just gave he just gave Bogarts a big contract, right?
0: Do I have to pay for this?
1: Well, no, but fans do buying tickets and what have you. They're Not doing your that. Money the now. fans are
0: already getting milked with all this stuff.
1: All right. I don't, I don't know. Why do I'll I'll I want to lose twenty six
0: year old Mookie Betts? That's insane. I don't want to do that. I know,
1: but you are going to give him four hundred million dollars.
0: I don't think he's going to get four hundred million dollars, but well, I bet he gets three hundred.
1: Uh, I don't think he. I think he wants more than three.
0: He's negotiating. <laughs> it's funny that that people are getting mad about him. Kind of, you know, using the leverage that he has, and be like, "Yeah, I'd love to come back, but blah blah blah." And people are like, "Oh, he's, wait, why doesn't he want to? He should care more about coming back." It's like who's playing the game?
1: I think yeah, he's no, coming I, back. If you think so? All right.
0: We listen. Losing a twenty-six-year-old free agent who has put up the resume he's had over the last four years is not good business, in my in my opinion. I mean,
1: the other- Thing is, like you know, these guys can ask for what they want, but really they have a limited market. Like the Yankees aren't going to bid on him because they have too many outfielders as it is, and too many big contracts, so they're not going to be in the market for him. I mean, are the Dodgers? You know, who are the big players? The Dodgers, the Yankees, or the Angels have any more money to throw at people? <laughs> the
0: Angels, yeah. They always, the <laughs> Angels always seem to find an extra three hundred million dollars.
1: Right. So, like, I don't know where he's going to go to get his. Mike Trout contract if the Red Sox are like, here's the number, you know, like, here's what we'll give you. Go, go find more. Uh, I don't know where he's going to find more. So I'm always worried
0: be. about the dumb ass Mets with this stuff because they, they're just like, <laughs> it's like the old George Costanza. There's spotting, spotting dimes on the highway. They're, they, can't, <laughs> yeah. they can't see. What? There's uh, no
1: way that there's no way the are signing anybody a three hundred million dollar contract. Who knows? No they way. just
0: they just traded for Marcus Stroman out of nowhere. They're not even a contender. I don't
1: they, know what's I going know on that with that makes, team. Yeah, but that that didn't involve money. There's no way they're spending money.
0: They just took Cano's contract last winter. It was one of the worst contracts in the league. I don't know what well, to expect from true.
1: them. That's true. So, well, that's because the because the GM represented him or represents him as an agent. So unless he represents bets, they're probably he's probably not going to get them on the hook for a lot of money.
0: Did Did you see that trade they made this week where they traded for the guy who was Wilpon's son's college roommate? It was no. like a dump trade, yeah. And then the guy they got back was somebody's roommate.
1: <laughs> God, they're so dumb.
0: The thing with the Sox and and I think the same goes for the Yanks we're in this new era of the rivalry now where uh, there's not the testiness. It was funny because the anniversary of the Veritech A-Rod fight was a couple days ago. and
1: Yeah, I saw that.
0: And A-Rod, who I want to talk about in a second, was talking on the broadcast about how, you know, during that time, which wasn't that long ago, the guys, it was so much less friendly and so much more adversarial than it is now. But, you know, when you think about this, what the Red Sox have with, Devers, Betts, Bogarts, all 26 and under. JD's, I think, I think he's 30 now. And then uh and Ben and is under 26 too. And then on the Yankees side, all the young guys they have, and it does feel like the foundation of something, but there's just no bitterness. They there's no No. They it's just something's missing. And basically what I'm trying to say is we need somebody to throw at somebody to really get this going. <laughs>
1: Yeah, we need another like you know Greg Nettles, Bill Lee thing at third base we need or incident. whatever. You know, yeah. we need something like that. But th- there's no more of that in the game because these guys, you know, they're all buddies off the field and they're all just they're you know they're, there's not the rivalry like it once was, except with CC Sabathia and the Rays, who he seems to hate. But <laughs> other than that, and vice versa. But other than that, there doesn't really seem to be any like bad blood generally in baseball.
0: All right, so let's talk about a Rod. Because I think this is okay. really important,
1: the national treasure. Yeah,
0: I feel like ninety nine percent of the time I get it. Just with anything, even even if it's not something I like personally, I get it. You know, like if there's some movie that's taking off, and I was like, "Well, I didn't really like the movie, but I understand why this has become successful," or a TV <laughs> show like This Is Us. I don't watch This Is Us, but I get it. Right. Sure. I, I know what's I know I know why somebody like my wife would watch every episode of This Is Us and get into it. I don't personally like it. This A Rod thing is the one percent for me. I don't get it. I've never really gotten it. And now I really don't get it because I had to spend four hours with them on Sunday night. Yeah. Not only do well, I not you know, get the, it, I, you know, I feel like is, I'm I'm taking crazy pills. I think he's an abomination as an announcer. I really do. I'm I I mean going to be super you and I critical. Talked about,
1: you and I talked about when he first was, I guess, I think it was actually when he was sort of like semi-retired or suspended or whatever. <laughs> and he started doing post-season games on Fox and he was doing the studio stuff. Yeah. And he was great. And we talked about like what a natural he was and he knew like how to throw it to guys and segues and which camera to look at. And he was like... Like, almost like a better like studio host guy than he was as a baseball player, right. or as good of a as good as a prodigy, and for some reason ESPN was like took that where he was like, I won't go so far as to say natural, but he was at least smooth at it, and they put him in the booth, and that that I don't think is his strength, and he feels the need to, like. Give his ridiculous strategy. He, he had this conniption fit earlier in the season. I think it was a Yankees Red Sox game on Sunday Night Baseball because they didn't have somebody lay down a bunt in a situation where it was ridiculous to even think about contemplate a bunt. And he went on and on about it for like two innings. <laughs> and I was like, "A rod, get off the bunt thing! My God, enough!" I,
0: I, I'm just stupefied by it. I remember that first year when he was good on the studio. I didn't think he was nearly as good as the second year. But the first year, it felt like they had stumbled into something. And there seemed like to be something genuine about it. And then the second year, it, it seemed like he was just really trained and polished. And the fake laughing would the open the mouth. And it was like, all right, now I I get it. Now he's, I guess he's playing the studio character. You can't play a character during a four-hour baseball game. When you're hanging out with two other people, you know, and the funny thing is, I'm not one of those people who thinks the local announcers are better than the national announcers. In fact, it's mm. usually the opposite, as, as you find out with, with your Yankee broadcasts. Uh, but the Red oh, Sox... Oh,
1: you're... I'd beg to differ on that. Our Yankee announcers are fine. Well, what's the one with. Paul was... O'Neill and David Cohn talking about the 98 team. I can't get enough of that.
0: No, what's the one with Sterling and Susan Waldman?
1: Well, that's the radio. That's the radio, <laughs> oh, okay. not the TV. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah for, for the most part, yeah, like the Red Sox radio guys, it's pretty, pretty rough. Their TV guys when they have Eck and Remy and, and uh, O'Brien all together, like it's actually really good. And it's informative. Really great. Yeah. And I, and I learned stuff and then spending four hours with this crew and a Rod just, you know, it's like, they don't know what to do with them. So they make the whole bro- broadcast about a rod. It's like, Hey, Rod's here. A Rod, remember that? Remember when that happened? Remember on that team when this happened? Hey, you were, you, you, you must remember that from Oh <laughs> four. And it's like, so, I don't well, fucking I care. I don't want to think about A-Rod anymore. I didn't like him when he played. Why am I thinking about I did, him now?
1: I didn't see very much of the game because, as I mentioned, I was at the beach and then we left and I was driving home. So I, I only watched the very end of it, but, but I did manage to tune in to see the awkward Part where Arod and just Mendoza were actually almost negotiating a trade for Syndergaard. Yeah, because because he's an advisor to the Yankees and she's an advisor to the Mets, and somehow they're on a national baseball broadcast talking about other teams and their players. But he's like talking about how the Yankees could use Syndergaard and he's like, hey, Jess, why don't you give us Syndergaard? And then she's like, well, what are you going to give me? And I'm like, are they actually negotiating a trade right now? Or <laughs> like- unbelievable. And she didn't seem to have much of an understanding of who was on the Mets roster <laughs> or the Yankees roster cause she couldn't, like, list off players that she would want to have on the Mets. So, um, And admittedly, he may have caught her off guard, but uh, I thought maybe she'd say, well, I'd want Gleyber Torres or whatever. But she was like, well, who are you going to give me? And it was like, oh, my God, this is so painful. And it's never going to happen in a million years. So why are we wasting precious airtime even contemplating it?
0: Well, I mean, this is their signature broadcast, right? It's Sunday night. This is supposed to be the best of the best. And there's all this baseball stuff going on. Like the Marcus Stroman trade had just happened, which was one of the most confusing trades in recent memory because this was like one of the big chess pieces. This was the guy rumored to go to the Yankees. Right. And we have a four-hour game where everybody takes 25 to 40 seconds between pitches. And there's just not a lot to talk about. I would have loved to have heard like a real nuanced conversation about, hey, what the fuck are the Mets doing? But that can't happen because Jessica Mendoza is an advisor of the Mets. Why the fuck is she in the (laughs) booth? And then A-Rod, who's an advisor of the Yankees. What is... What does he advise them with, by the way? I don't what do you know. think they're really calling A Rod and be like, "Hey Rod, can you study some Shane Green tapes?" What the <laughs> fuck is
1: going on? He's out to dinner with J Lo. He's like, "Hang on, I got to take this call." It's it, cashman,
0: it's just so forced. It's these three people that would never be together <laughs> under any other circumstances, trying to pretend to have these conversations. And then, it's, if it's not bad enough, we come back from commercial, and J Lo and his two daughters are in the booth with a fucking birthday cake that says happy birthday. It doesn't even say A-Rod. They couldn't even like find five extra seconds to write A-Rod on it. And (laughs) they have to do this fake false thing with a like A-Rod's just fake laughing and it's just super awkward and nobody's going to eat the cake. And then you're watching it going, oh, nobody, definitely nobody's eating that cake. Not one of them is going to even try it. And then three hours later, Pete Abraham, who uh, covers the Red Sox for one of the papers – he tweets the picture of the uneaten birthday cake, which was then eaten by all the sports writers. Right. Why the fuck did that have to happen?
1: Well, I, all, all I can presume is that ESPN was hoping for some like celebrity crossover because of JLo, that that was going to draw eyeballs to the game. I don't think that was going to happen. And, and maybe they couldn't get a cake that said "Happy Birthday, A Rod" because they were in Boston and they went to every bakery and they kept getting cakes that said "Happy Birthday, Asshole" or something on it. You know, they should have so gotten a like, cake. Let's just leave the name off. <laughs> just put "Happy Birthday, birthday. Asshole."
0: It should have <laughs> been "Happy Birthday, Two-Time Cheater and Liar" who got suspended <laughs> right. for a whole fucking year. Why are you right. bre- announcing games and why are you like America's Sweetheart now? I don't That's understand really- this. Does Lance Armstrong get to come back now?
1: We went to get a cake, and it said steroids on it again. So we're going to try another bakery. We're out in Worcester now, but we're still are not having any luck.
0: Well, why is Barry Bonds an asshole? Wait, like, does right. Barry Bonds get to come back now? Like, I don't understand. <sighs> well, Clemens he was,
1: wasn't he the? Isn't he the batting coach for somebody? Or wasn't he?
0: Yeah, but nobody likes Barry Bonds. Every no. A Rod's in my life on Saturday, on Sunday night for four hours. The guy, the guy yeah. was as flagrant as anybody we had with the whole cheating thing. Well, I'm just so pretty, confused pretty, by this. I really am. I'm, I'm, I honestly don't get it. I don't understand what happened with this.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's it's a weird thing. He's got a good PR skills. They He's came in guy, you know, celebrity. I wish I you had know.
0: seen the game because at one point they came back from commercial. Maybe this was when they brought the cake, and they had video of A Rod's fiftieth birthday party, and it was just this—must have been twenty seconds of A Rod and J Lo just dancing in a nightclub.
1: Nice
0: and and it's like oh and Matt Faschingerian who you know that that's another issue but he's like oh hey Rod still got the moves huh and Mendoza's just giggling you know probably getting texts about Marcus Stroman from the Mets GM and I'm like what the fuck this is Red Sox have a chance to sweep why am I watching this who is this for
1: <laughs> well here's the thing though see like you do not care for arod as from a Red Sox perspective, and i I get all that and just maybe just in the general perspective but i have I am subjected to games on Fox with John Smoltz, yeah, who is the most Anti, has the most anti-Yankee bias of anyone <laughs> I've ever seen to the point. I remember when they played the Astros in the playoffs and they called it a ball on Verlander or somebody. And he actually groaned it's to the point where Joe Buck was like, Oh, you're groaning or something. And he's like, well, as a pitcher, you really want to get that one? I'm like, no, you hate the Yankees. And I had to watch like a 14 hour game from London subjected to his 14 hour rants against the Yankees. So, I can understand not being in love with the broadcasters because I have a visceral reaction to hearing that John Smoltz is going to do a Yankees game. That visceral reaction is blind hatred.
0: See, I think John Smoltz is great.
1: Of course he would. (laughs) Of course he would. (laughs) Instead of having John, like when they play the other team, they should just have the other manager mic'd up and do the play-by-play because that would be about as fair. So I have no I, I get your visceral reactions.
0: I have no idea of if, if Mendoza is good because apparently she's really good on the college world series and <clears throat> as somebody who's been in t v situations where you can be with the wrong cast members sometimes like there's no right. you there's you you can't overcome it so I have no idea if she's good. she might be she's not good on these games with those guys, and the crew is bad and I, I just don't understand over and over again, we get in these situations with the national announcing team where they think entertainment has to be part of the package. You know, it's like, guess yeah, what? I mean, guess what? I'm watching yeah, for the game. Sorry. Like just, just teach me stuff about, about baseball. I don't need to see clips of A-Rod's 50th birthday party. Sorry.
1: But see, this is, This is what they do in every circumstance, though, because, you know, I'm not a big NBA guy, but I I watched a good portion of the NBA finals, and I've seen enough Drake shots to last my lifetime. Or, like, Beyonce and Jay Z courtside. Like, okay, they're at the game. That's good. I don't need to see their reaction, like, every 10 minutes. So, I think every media thing is like they try to get a celebrity connection because. You know, between the Internet and all the various ways you can consume media now, as they say, you know, there's a limited market, so they're trying to expand it. I, a guy called – you know, speaking of A-Rod and J-Lo in the booth, I listened to Mad Dog Radio on the way home from work, and I was listening yesterday, and I didn't hear the call, but some other caller reacted to it. A guy called up and said, well, J-Lo has you know, 40 million followers on Instagram, so when she's on ESPN, like, maybe some of her followers will tune into the game. Cause she's going to be in the booth and then stick with the game. Like, I guess ESPN is banking on that logic.
0: I, I mean, that's honestly the most ludicrous thing I've ever heard. in my life. <laughs> of
1: course it is.
0: So some 14 year old Lo fan in Kansas city is going to be like, Hey, I heard Lo might pop in the booth for the birthday cake. I'm going right. to sit through five innings of this Red Sox Yankees game. <laughs> what is going on?
1: i know i think i'm exercise, so confused but people think that way and maybe there's tv executives that think that way
0: God. i don't know i i'm tired of fighting these battles johnny all, all, I, all i can tell you is it was a long four hours let's uh let's take yeah, a quick get break it. let's take a quick break we'll come back hey let's talk about a one-stop destination for quality entertainment and high-end living and grand theft auto online The Diamond Casino and Resort offers a range of experiences for all kinds of players, casino games like three-card poker, blackjack, and roulette, slot machines with a variety of prizes. It's an oasis of luxury with a master penthouse that sits beside the roof terrace with infinity pool and stunning views. Purchase a penthouse to become a VIP member. Gain access to a series of action-packed cooperative missions as you help property owner and triad party boy Tao Chang and the Diamond staff protect their investment from a hostile takeover. VIP membership also includes access to VIP lounges, high limit tables, a range of special services via the penthouse phone, including aircraft, limousine services, and more. My son was really excited that they're advertising on the uh, podcast, by oh, the way. As was I. As <laughs> it's like, Dad, what do we get? <laughs> Experience the never ending universe of multiplayer gameplay possibilities in Grand Theft Auto Online and the latest free update, the Diamond Casino and Resort Access. It's free. With every copy of Grand Theft Auto V available now at rockstargames.com. All right. So we have to get your take on the democratic political race.
1: There's a big debate tonight. I think, well, I think it's like a two night debate because they still have like 25 candidates.
0: Two night debate. Um, who, yeah. who wins your unintentional comedy award so far through all this whole democratic process
1: well he's out of it now unfortunately but this guy eric swalwell who's a who was a congressman from california i mean, he might be your congressman actually i don't know he i think he represents part of la and uh he was just so bad at everything i i saw him do and you know forget about viewpoint he's just like so smarmy and like Everything he does is so forced and fake and cringy. I literally was like, I can't believe this guy has ever been elected to anything <laughs> in any capacity. I understand it's an, oh, certainly an overwhelmingly liberal district, but you can't tell me there's not some more authentic liberal candidate that could have beaten this guy who was just so, so bad. So it's he's painful to watch he's gone? he He dropped out. He's gone now. So, And the, the other thing I like is, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty – I follow politics a lot. Like, I have my whole life, and I, I'm pretty versed in candidates and elected officials and what have you. They they showed some pictures for this debate. I literally couldn't pick some of these people out of a lineup. Yeah. You know, this guy that's, like, he used to be the governor of Montana. If that guy walked in my office right now, I'd be like, hi, can I help you? Who are you? <laughs> he wants to be the president. It's not going to happen. I mean, come on. So they, there's too many candidates, and these people that do it, you know, I, I mean, I understand why you do it, because— you can raise your profile and raise your speaking fees and everything else, and you know get your name out in the news. But it's just—it's patently ridiculous that you're doing this.
0: I think the funniest thing has been the Beto, the Beto campaign.
1: Oh my God! Yeah, talk about yeah. He's just talking about a, nothing he's just to a say now. Yeah. Oh my God!
0: Is it? I don't understand what happened with that, but I, I think it probably came from just America's desperation to have some young hopeful person who <laughs> was the complete opposite of what the president was
1: well it helped him that he was running against ted cruz who that helped. most republicans don't like and and he looks like bobby kennedy and he had the rolled up shirt sleeves and the irish last name and they were like everybody was like swooning that it was the reincarnation of bobby kennedy and he you know narrowly lost to ted cruz he did better than most democrats would because he you know he got a lot of press and a lot of favorable press and uh you know did his tour of texas and caught fire to some degree to only lose by two or three points. And so then somehow that was translated into this guy should run for president. And he got the Vanity Fair cover and he went out and ran. And then they were like, what do you think about, climate change and he was like yeah we really should think about that and talk about it. <laughs> people were like wait what no no you want to be the president what do you think he's like what do you think <laughs> 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 well I, I know what i think but i'm not the one running for president champ so how about some other answers and he was kind of like yeah i'll get back to you i'm gonna be on my skateboard and people were like jesus christ what are we doing here
0: <laughs> what do you think of the mid east so where's that again
1: <laughs> exactly like we should do something about that to best.
0: that's where all the oil is right yeah he just had he had no takes he had nothing to say he would if like it would have been if we'd anointed somebody as the next Colin Coward and then he came on it was you know it's like baseball trade deadline Woo trades trades are crazy it was so funny to watch him in the debates like he just I he he, he seems like it's like the old NBA, the second year I did the NBA draft joke and this guy Bruno Cabasio got taken and Fran Fischella said he was two years away from me, two years away. That's kind of how I feel about Beto. And yet he's running for president. He's like fifth. It's like, I, don't, I can't name one thing he stands for.
1: No, nobody can. That was the problem. And now he's gone in the complete opposite direction where he's like, now he's going to be like the wokest of the woke. So he's basically like, you know, America sucks and not, you know, white, everything's white supremacy. It's just, everything's awful. And it's like, come on, come on, man. You know, come back to us. Well, he had a,
0: he got a documentary out of it. So I guess that he was, did. that he was did. a win. Yeah, The whole thing is he can show that to his kids.
1: And you know, he, he lost his Senate rate. Right? And, and like he, if you read his biography, you know, he's, he seems like someone who's always been – he comes from a lot of money, and he, I think he has some guilt about that. He went to Columbia, and he had no real direction, and he's done like a million different things. He was in a punk band. He was like a nanny for a while. Yeah. You know, he was in a hacker group. He's he's never really, quote-unquote, had sort of a real job, and his father was in politics, so he kind of felt the need to go into politics. He got elected to city council, got elected to Congress, and like I say, he you know made a splash run against Ted Cruz. But – You know, after he lost Ted Cruz, he went on this like road trip around the country and was kind of like finding himself and sending out, you know, sort of philosophical tweets. So it's like if he doesn't, if he doesn't become president, I think smart money would say he's not going to be. I wonder what he's going to do now. Like, is he going to go backpack through Europe and write a book? Like, I don't know what's next for him.
0: I feel like the ringer is possibly in this for a ringer podcast, a political analyst for the debates. Beto, what'd you think of that? Oh man, I mean what'd you think? <laughs> I don't know.
1: Not so deep thoughts with Beto on the Ringer Podcast Network.
0: Shit. That I would good listen day. to that podcast. That'd be pretty great.
1: <laughs> he breaks down the best punk albums of the nineties. It's a pretty good podcast, actually.
0: Well, I don't know. Uh I don't know what's going on you know, with You the... know
1: who my other favorite my other favorite candidate is? It's yeah. Marianne Williamson. Yeah. Also from your neck of the woods, who's like who's her claim to fame is she's like a guru, essentially, right? So she's like a guru. Maybe she's like a life coach, but she's like the guru to the stars. So she has this philosophy of basically like preaching love and astrology or whatever, and she wants to be president based on never having been in any kind of elective office. She did preside over Elizabeth Taylor's seventh wedding at Neverland Ranch, though. So that would be an interesting resume for a president, but... <laughs>
0: Well, I like the fact that everybody was allowed to be in the debates.
1: Right. Well, they, you had to meet certain thresholds. You had to raise like 60, <laughs> I think you had to raise 50 grand and you had to have so many individual donors, but you could skate that by getting like, if I if you ponied up a dollar for somebody that counted as a separate donor and it got you towards your goal. So no, no, wait. did it.
0: No, you needed a head and two arms and two legs too. That was the other thing. Yeah, basically,
1: missing.
0: right. they very very adamant about that. There's just so <laughs> right. many. And then a couple of them were mad that their, their mics were allegedly turned off. Yeah. Which is like, yeah, because nobody cares what you have to say. That's why your mic right. was turned off because we're all here for like the five people who might actually have a chance to be the president. The crazy thing though, like the polls are even coming out today that Biden is like way ahead.
1: Yeah, and then Sanders is the second.
0: And Warren's third and Kamala Harris somehow fell.
1: Yeah, she had a big moment, and then down. she like couldn't couldn't sustain the momentum. And I, Elizabeth Warren has had sort of a moment too, but I think she and Bernie Sanders kind of fight over the same same pool of voters, so they're kind of splitting that vote, I would think. I, I, I mean, I thought, somebody they need to attack Biden because I mean Biden's going to run away with it as you know as semi inept as he is, uh, he's going to run away with it because. The vast majority of of voters, I think, Democratic voters see him as the most electable and, you know, because it ties to Obama and, you know, the experience and he's like the safest choice. I think, you know, usually it's going to be the next guy in line and he's the next guy in line.
0: Trump has
1: some epic collapse or or somebody really like taking the reins and catching fire to mix metaphors.
0: If it's going to be Biden, Trump has the napkin tucked into his neck with fucking steak knife and forks <laughs> and steak sauce, and he's ready to roll. I mean, he has <laughs> 90 different ways to go to be cruel and mean to Joe Biden. Yeah, he'll be doing probably, all of
1: that. Probably. I mean, the interesting thing is, you know, and I know I'm going to get tweets about this, but you know, by, if you look at the various metrics, the economy is doing pretty well. I, I know there's people left behind. You don't have to tweet me and et cetera, et cetera, and student loan debt and healthcare, yada yada. I know. I'm just saying generically, the economy is pretty strong. The the country. I know we're still in Afghanistan, but are, you know, generally, there's no major. Wars or conflicts, not to say Afghanistan is not a, not a major war, but sort of a police action at the moment. So you talk about, like, general peace and prosperity. He should be, like, rolling to re-election, one would think, with a super low unemployment rate. Um, and yet here we are because he's such a fucking moron. <laughs> and so polarizing that he, and people generally despise him. That we, That's why it makes it an interesting horse race. And that's why there's 25 candidates that think they can unseat them. Even people that are barely recognized by their family. <laughs> That's my synopsis, twenty twenty, USA, USA. <laughs> god bless America. Uh
0: I feel like this is gonna get so ugly and so awful. Oh god,
1: yeah. It's gonna be ridiculous how bad it will be.
0: It's it's I'm almost not prepared for it emotionally. Yeah, you know,
1: yeah, it's gonna be. Because Trump's already, dirt, he's so already,
0: he's already ratcheted up seven notches, and we're not even in August yet. And once it becomes clear Biden's going to be the guy, um, it's he's just going to bring out the missiles and everything and go right at him while also doing all the other stuff he's been doing. It's not great.
1: It's, the, the interesting thing to me, and you know, I've I've said this till I'm blue in the face on on podcasts with you, but. I always feel like I'm in a twilight zone episode when I when I like th- think about like that Trump is actually considered by people to be like this heroic genius, right? So, I was recently with a a group of guys and we started talking about things and we were, and they and they're smart guys, like smart successful guys. I generally don't know what their politics are. And we started talking about politics, and somebody was. It was this was like a couple weeks ago when Trump had his tweets about the squad, as they're called, you know, the four congresswomen, and. So I said, you know, we were talking sort of generically, strategically, and I said, you know, I think it's probably good to some degree from Trump's perspective to tie the Democratic Party with some of their views that are, you know, maybe outside of the mainstream. And I said, you know, somehow somehow he sort of stumbles into these things. And these guys were like, no, no, he doesn't make stumbles because time and time again, he always comes out on top. It can't be stumbles. And it's like there's actually people that are smart and successful that really think, like, that he has some grand strategy that he follows and, like, that he's, like, this master, you know, general, like, moving pieces on the maps to make everything fall into line the way he wants. And I'm just like, am I taking crazy pills here? <laughs> like, like what? Really? So there are like sane people that, you know, I don't think these guys were full blown MAGAites, but there are people that think like, wow, he really does, knows what he's doing and things are working out. And I'm just like, wait, what? It's, huh? it's a
0: crazy, like a fox.
1: Yeah. That people actually think like he doesn't just sort of like stumble over himself and like fall into some luck that, that, that people actually think like he's, you know, he's had these grand plans and he's like this master businessman strategist or whatever.
0: I like when I like when he gets defended, you know, because almost all the time he's going after minorities or whoever, and there's yeah. dog whistle ways. But when you mention it, I'd be like, no, no, he's terrible to white people too. Right, that's, like, yeah. that's like a defense. It's like, <laughs> it's oh, defense, all right. right. So, yeah, yeah you're right. He's a general. Yeah, right. I, I, I didn't realize that. Uh, <laughs> it is, I've never, you know, conspiracy bill loves a good conspiracy. It, yeah. it is weird to have a president who where everything's on the table with any possible conspiracy. Like I have a friend who's convinced that Trump manipulates the market where when the stock market's doing really well, Trump will say something about, yeah, I'm going to, I'm cutting off that trade deal with China. And then the stock market will dip because, this person is convinced that he's shorting it the other way. And he's just basically yeah. controlling this yo-yo right. thing with the stock market and just making money both ways. And then he quiets down and it starts going back up. Like lately it's been good again. And right. my friend's like, watch this. He's going to say something crazy. He'll do a he's, trade war. Yeah. He's doing like,
1: um, yeah banning products from China or something, right? But he does have the
0: ability to do that. He can say he something does. nuts and the market will go down. And then he can stay quiet for a while and it'll go up. And look, it's ludicrous. I don't think he's actually doing that. But as my friend was laying this out, I was like, yeah, maybe he's doing that. This is the president of the United States. Right.
1: Well, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure. wondering I mean, if he's he- doing this. I'm sure he's in this to make money, but the way he's making money is like through his hotels and everything, where foreign governments can curry favor by, you know, buying out the top ten rooms at some Trump hotel or whatever, and letting him know about it, or like, you know, that when he does fundraisers and business at golf courses that he owns, and you know, he takes the money from donors and puts it in his pocket, essentially. So, I'm sure there's a lot of skim going on, but I'm not sure about the market thing because he he would probably prefer a high stock market. Now, maybe he could manipulate it to have it higher by the time of the election, but, you know, he wants it to be as high as possible because that's one of his talking points. Yeah, but it's never a crater, though. Is. It's,
0: it's, it's dip, but then it rallies back. So, yeah, I don't so know. Maybe
1: that's his like a comeback. I mean, you know, his, his, I mean, one of the things that the economy probably should be doing better except for his asinine tariffs that are just, you know, killing things in terms of trade. And, you know, he keeps claiming, well, China's paying all this money. Well, well, no, they're not. It's the consumer that's paying more for goods from other countries. Like China's not just going to eat that money. They're going to like pass it on to people. So he has this, and then we have to subsidize farmers because they, you know, they're paying higher rates to sell their goods in China. And then we kick in subsidies and he thinks it's all working out wonderfully. But um, so I don't, who do you, I don't know.
0: who just, do you think has the best chance to beat
1: him? Probably Biden, honestly. Oh my god! I think I think if you had a I think if you had a Biden Harris ticket, I think that's that would be tough to beat because I think Kamala I always mispronounce her first name uh, Kamala Harris. I think she would appeal to the you know more woke brigade of the Democratic Party, and and Joe would be seen as non threatening to. Uh, you know, swing voters in the Midwest. See, That's the that's the theory anyway. I think that would be a tough one for Trump to beat. I think Biden can compete as, you know, good old, town, you know, Scranton Joe and like Pennsylvania and Michigan and, you know, places, Wisconsin, places that Trump surprisingly won last time, which was the difference maker in the election. But Do he doesn't th- seem like he's out of touch and, you know, too far to the left.
0: Do you think so. Biden is going through two hour sessions every day where they're training him not to put his arms around people?
1: Yeah, and not to collar, hug people. Right? <laughs> they just put a shock collar on him, and they bring in like a you know twenty year old woman, and he wants to go hug her, and they just zap uh, him.
0: Oh, who's that? <laughs> Who are you? Is it no Are those I
1: mean, your he, grandkids? He a, no, no, Joe, no, no, Joe, no, no. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 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 Take them out they tackle him
0: <laughs> They're they're using. They're just bringing all these different grandkids in as bait. Joe's like, I mean, he's so I'm not going to go over there, right? I can't, I shouldn't, I should just wave, right?
1: Aside from all that, where he's just like, you know, friendly Uncle Joe, like, You know, where he brings up this thing about like, like nobody asked him, and he's just randomly brought up like working with how well he worked with segregationists in the 70s or whatever. Like, if if you were his advisor, you're like, no, don't don't bring that up. Don't say that. Like, maybe you did. Everybody, you're saying like, okay, even people of extreme views, we have to get along for the good of the country. But like, don't volunteer that. Like, don't bring that up in today's climate. You know, how wonderful some segregationist senator from Mississippi was. Don't do that, Joe. Don't do that.
0: The thing is, he's in his mid seventies.
1: I know that is. The I mean, thing.
0: you're just like, come on. We all have people in our lives who are in their mid seventies or older, and it's just a fucking roller coaster ride. It just is. You know,
1: Robert, the special the special counsel Robert Mueller testified last week, and he yeah. he was not great at the the testimony and at times seemed a little little lost and he couldn't hear anybody and I saw Jake Tapper or somebody comment on it and he was like you know well he is like 74 years old and you know, maybe he's not as strong as he once was. And I thought to myself, well, Biden's like 78, and Trump is over. He's like 70 something too. And I'm like, well, that's great. This guy isn't a lot. He's not capable of testifying before Congress. But one of the two le- guys likely to be president are both going to be at that age too. Fantastic. Good stuff.
0: The Patriots have what 78 or 79 year old Bob Kraft, who celebrated <laughs> the AFC Championship game by going to a weird spa in right. In where was that, Kyle? Florida, right? It was Florida. Like, uh, Jupiter, yeah. Jupiter, Florida. No? Hopped on a plane, celebrated the title game. And, you know, it's like, all right, the dude's in his late 70s. But yet, both of the people running for president right now are the same age as him.
1: Right. And yeah, the excuse for him
0: is like, ah, he's old. Give him a break. Come on. He's a widow. And yet, here we are with Trump I know. About it. and Biden.
1: And yet, here we are. <sighs> Crazy times. I don't know, friend. Johnny. Crazy times.
0: Maybe we should just... See, I think there's something to be learned from Beto's success, <laughs> given his complete lack of credentials. People really want the next Jack Kennedy, right? Absolutely. So what we should do is we should find some like 27-year-old right now who wants to be an actor. Like maybe that kid in The Bachelor, Tyler. Everybody loves Tyler in The Bachelor.
1: The okay, I don't watch the Bachelor, but uh, all the right.
0: Bachelorette. There was this contestant who made the uh, final two. Tyler, former football player. Um, a bunch of uh, my coworkers <laughs> are in love with him, including Molly Rubin and Juliet, who did a whole podcast about how much they loved him. He's just got, he's just got it. He's got something. We take that guy. We just put him through the Bobby Kennedy, Jack Kennedy training <laughs> school. <laughs> yeah. Teach him how to how to talk like just in generalities, and he could probably, you know, be a governor in five years.
1: Well, absolutely, no, no question. I mean, the the country now there's like so much hyper partisanship that. You know, Trump says one thing on Monday, and you got the Hannitys of the world, and unfortunately, a majority of the Republican base that's like, "Yeah, right on," and then he changes his mind on Wednesday, and they're like, "Yeah, right on." If anybody thinks otherwise, is nuts. Like, so it's just like, it's like the old Jerry Seinfeld thing—you're rooting for laundry. So, you know, if the guy had the the guy could be completely vacuous, empty suit, and you, as long as he had the right party ID next to him, people are going to be like, "Wow, he's so wise."
0: It's like the Manchurian <laughs> Candidate.
1: Right, exactly. Exactly. That's, yeah, that's where we are now. Like it's just hyper-partisanship and it's, it's even more so what they call negative partisanship where it's not even so much like you love your guy necessarily, but you hate the other party so much. You're like, oh, I can't let those socialists get in there or I can't let those fascists get in there. So it's, you know, I got to vote for my guy and, and you know, like, cause like, we got to beat the Nazis or we got to beat the commies, you know?
0: It's craziness. Well, I think Trump's going to win. And
1: if I was betting money, I would say pro- I, I mean, right now, Uh, Probably, but I I don't know. I just find that, I find that so hard to believe, but I found it hard to believe that he was even running and I find it hard to believe that he's the president and all those things are true. So, (laughs) (laughs) so maybe I should stop believing.
0: I'm looking at the odds right now. 2020, he's minus 110. He's basically even. Biden's five Mm -hmm. to one, Harris six to one. Beto's 100 to one if you're interested in putting some down
1: on wow. that. Wow. Maybe maybe he's got a comeback in him, the comeback kid.
0: Beto, should I bet on you? I don't know. Should you? That's
1: uh, a good question. We should really <laughs> it's look into that. a good question. That. Let me
0: think about that. Let me chew that over for a second. I think Trump's going to win. And then I think it's going to be like a Le- LeBron, LeBron Jr. thing where he starts laying the groundwork for Don Jr. to take over in 24.
1: I think, that's the, I think that's the plan to the extent that they have a grand plan. And that's, that's what's almost more frightening is, you know, there's two schools of thought as to, like, what happens with the Republicans after Trump. Like, is, there, is, there, is Trump, like, so branded the party now that they're forever a Trump party? Or do they just pretend, like, boy, that was weird, huh? That just never <laughs> happened. Like, just move on and be like, let's forget all about that and just move forward.
0: It'd be like when Garth Brooks had that alter ego.
1: Chris Gaines,
0: and then it's kind of happened, and then it was like, all right, so that happened, and that (laughs) would just be our uh, an entire presidential term. Yeah, I think uh, I think Don Junior is is starting to uh, starting to think about it. Starting to feel it.
1: The plan. I read somewhere, and I I I think I didn't finish reading it because I shuddered so much. (laughs) And it said like Don Junior is like the most popular figure in the Republican party or something. And I'm like, no, 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 that can't be true. Please, <laughs> please don't let that be true. So he may poll super high. Who knows? You know, they've been saying maybe he should run for, he should run for governor against Cuomo or something. So maybe they're already grooming him.
0: Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Don jr.
1: God help us all.
0: President Don jr. Oh man. Us. I'm trying to figure out where I have to move to. Let's, I know. It's it just doesn't seem like any other countries are doing a, a lot better. No,
1: the whole world's on fire. It's crazy. Yeah, like, it'd be crazy. <clears throat> everything. Like the you know, the media's awful, the politicians are awful, and everything's awful. Yankees can't get a starter, There's nothing good going on.
0: <laughs> well, at least we have sports. Uh, thank God. Johnny, next time we talk, can you uh, can you catch up on the loudest voice? Because I really want to go deep dive
1: into Absolutely. Uh, I promise I, that. Will watch it. I, I will watch it. I will watch it. One of my favorite
0: shows. I also think that um You need to watch three episodes of Euphoria. I would like your thoughts on that. All
1: right. That's my homework. Okay.
0: Don't watch that one with the kids around or looming or lurking in any way.
1: Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. All right.
0: Thanks, Johnny. This is a pleasure as always. Talk to you soon. Good times. All right. We're going to bring in Michael Rubin in a second. First, we've all made some bad choices in life. I know I have. God, what's my latest bad choice? Oh, I don't know. Um, Saying the Celtics were going to win 67 games? I still haven't gotten over that one. That's been a year. Oh, betting on the Celtics to win the East? Yeah, that was a bad choice, too. Hey, this isn't about me. It's about you. Don't make where you play fantasy football a bad life decision. Play Yahoo fantasy football. Yahoo offers up free expert advice. It has the best player experience. They'll never delete your league history like other apps. Yahoo also has all kinds of fantasy games, like the new best ball. Just draft and you're done. No trades, no waivers. No drama all season. Yahoo, the number one rated app by the FSGA Make Better Choices. Choose Yahoo Fantasy Football. Speaking of fantasy football, the uh, Ringer NFL show, the fantasy football guys are back. Danny Kelly, Danny Heifetz. And uh, they're breaking down fantasy in seven parts, Kyle. I could use that. QBs went up yesterday. They broke down backs. the QBs. Running backs is coming, I think, later this week. So... You can download The Ringer NFL Show and get all your fantasy advice right there. Hey, speaking of podcasts, have you heard about Luminary? It's the only place you can listen to the newest show on The Ringer Network, Break Stuff, the story of Woodstock 1999. We are a couple episodes in. It's a podcast you won't want to miss, a festival that went wrong in a bunch of different ways and ended up defining a really strange era of music in the late nineties that we're here trying to capture right now, actually with our 99 music week on the ringer.com. You had a festival in New York with riots, looting numerous assaults set to a soundtrack of the era's most aggressive rock bands and revealed some hard truths behind the myths of the 1960s and the danger that nostalgia can engender luminary gives you access to a bunch of other original shows from innovative dynamic creators. You can't find anywhere else. One of our one of them is uh, the Rewatchables 1999, which is on a slight hiatus right now. But we did nine episodes. We got six more coming in the fall. The app is free to download. In addition to the Can't Miss Originals, use it to listen to thousands of podcasts, including this one: music, TV, film, comedy, sports, and more. Luminary will have the right show for you. Check out Woodstock 99. Check out the Rewatchables 1999. So much more only on Luminary. Get your first two months of access to Luminary's premium content for free when you sign up at luminary.link slash Simmons. After that, it's only seven ninety nine dollars per month. That's luminary.link slash Simmons for two months of free access. Luminary.link slash Simmons. Cancel anytime. Terms do apply. All right, coming up, uh, Michael Rubin. We taped this a couple weeks ago, so there. I think there's one spot where it'll feel like it was three weeks ago when we're talking about Ben Simmons's extension. But other than that... Uh, Excited to have this guy on. I think he's really interesting and somebody that feels very 2019, how he succeeded and the kind of people that he's dealing with day to day. So here it is, Michael Rubin. Michael Rubin is here. He's a part owner of the Sixers and he owns Fanatics, which I would say is the biggest apparel um, boom of this decade. Is that Uh, fair?
2: We're a humble, small company that's just (laughs) getting started with huge market share to gain.
0: Can we talk about the Sixers first and being an NBA owner? What year did you guys form the ownership group when you hijacked the Sixers for $280 million?
2: Well, we paid full value at the time. Yeah. We bought the team, a group of uh, us bought the team in fall of 2011. It was great timing.
0: There was like 10 franchises for
2: sale at that point. It was good timing. Yeah. And the crazy story, I think most people don't actually know this. So Ed Snyder, who started the Flyers and owned the Sixers, was my direct next-door neighbor for a good chunk of my life. Yeah. So when I sold my company, GSI Commerce, to eBay in March of 2011, Ed called me and said, hey, I want to come over and celebrate. And uh, he comes over with a bottle of uh, wine and a bottle of champagne and actually a bottle of tequila because he could drink a lot. Yeah. And um, he said, hey, you should buy the Sixers. I'm like, man, I got no interest in this. This team loses a ton of money. I couldn't afford the losses. And, you know, I'm focused on my business. And I never thought about it again. And he's like, you know what, Michael? And he wasn't a basketball fan. He was all hockey. He's like, I don't want you to buy the team. And then Josh Harris and David Blitzer put together the deal to buy the team. And when I realized the economics were much different than I had thought, and then uh, David Stern actually, um, you know, really convinced me to, you know, get involved.
0: That one, the Philly and Golden State were the two ridiculous ones. Golden State, I think, it was like four hundred, something like that. Yeah. And yeah. it was just it was a gigantic city that was growing in every conceivable way and had a ton of money and had great basketball fans.
2: Yeah. Look, Philly is an incredible sports market. It's it's yeah. absolutely without question, um, you know, one of the top few sports markets in the world. And Philly fans are incredible and they, they bleed they bleed for their for their team. So it's it's a great market.
0: Those are two good purchases. So now you look at, I don't know. Heading into 2020, like what are the Sixers worth? Do you even think about stuff like that?
2: I, I don't. I don't think it about it. It, it feels We're, like
0: it's two billion per big market franchise now. I would say.
2: Yeah, I think I think that's fair, but I don't like. Look, I don't think you know. For for me, um, you know, I'm a business builder. Yeah. So whether it's Fanatics that you know, I bought Fanatics in 2011 back from eBay. It was a 250 million dollar company. It's going to be over three billion dollars in revenue next year. Um, I don't think about. Like, I'm not sitting here thinking about values. I'm thinking about what do you want to do with each business and how do you want to build it? And then I think generally good things follow.
0: So you're in like a real ownership group where the people that are in there are all independently successful of each other. And I'm always fascinated when this happens in the NBA because ultimately one guy is the owner. Definitely. And that seems like that's gone wrong a lot of times, especially in the NBA over the last 20 years where somebody put in a bunch of money, but they still don't really control anything. And within about two, three years, they're realizing like, oh, I basically just have season tickets and I own the equity in this team and that's about it.
2: Yeah, I think um, there have, there's a reason in sports that one person is in charge and that is the right structure. Yeah. I think without that, you end up with the league having to get involved and figure out how to fix fights that come up. So the structure of having one person that was responsible is absolutely the right structure. That's Josh Harris in our group. Yeah. He's the person that put the deal together. He's in charge,
0: but you're uh, used to being in charge.
2: Yeah, I, I, by, by the way, and we, I, we joke about it all the time. In my day job, which is fanatics, rule La La, and guilt, and shop runner, I am in charge. Um, but I also started something called the Reform Alliance, where myself, Jay Z, Robert Kraft, Meek Mill, Dan Loeb, Mike Novogratz, the family just bought the Brooklyn Nets, Joe Clara Sy, and uh, Robert Smith, um, started this massive criminal justice movement. And I'm not in charge of that either, but I started it. And I'm super passionate about it. So to me, um, you don't need to be in charge of something necessarily to be able to have tremendous um, impact on it. And and I, I use the best example uh, with the Reform Alliance.
0: How has there ever been a Sixers situation where there was just like severe disagreement on a path or something? Like but, a trade or a free signing?
2: Yeah, um, well, well first, at the end of the day, um, we have a great GM in Elton Brand. He's responsible for basketball operations. Ultimately, Josh is responsible. I think, generally speaking, my belief for ownership in sports in general is that the time that ownership should get involved is on the things that really move the needle. I think often owners get involved in things that they shouldn't. I think you have to figure out how to make a really positive impact on what matters and then get out of the way for everything else. And so, um, you know, in our group, um, Josh and David are very collaborative I happen to probably be the only person from the sports business. I've been in sports my entire adult life. So for me, you know, we bought the team in 2011 and, and everybody in the, um, you know, around the organization, the league or people I did business with already. So there weren't new faces to me. So I think, um, you know, it's, it's it's an area I'm very comfortable.
0: Do you think that this decade there's been like three to four times as many rich guys who are just like, I want a sports team. Like there's been a trend because it seems like, Especially uh, when you think about how Golden State was available. And you had all those people in Silicon Valley who could have bought it. And then Lacob gets it. And that's one of the crown jewels yeah. of Silicon Valley, right? He's in charge of where everybody's sitting at the Warriors games and who gets to go in the little special club. Yeah, And it does seem like more and more, um, it's just harder to find a team. Like I don't even think there's more than two NBA teams for sale right now. And they're not even really for sale.
2: So I think the pace of teams that are available are actually – consistent or even higher than they've ever been. But I do think there were more buyers. So if you look and say, the leagues keep a list of qualified buyers so they know exactly. Yeah, I'm not on the list. Yeah. No, I heard you were on the list. No, I'm not not there. I'll get there
0: someday, but I'm not there. We we had you in the GM list. Not qualified. (laughs) (laughs) I I get to do 200 podcasts a week and I think I
2: can make it that's fine. You just got to, I mean, I I believe in you. You can do this. Like let's, (laughs) let's get motivated. Let's make it happen. Nothing's impossible. Um, So each of the leagues keep list of qualified buyers. Cause what generally happens when someone's not familiar with the sports industry, which most buyers aren't familiar with the leagues, the dynamics, they go to see the commissioner, they go to see a few owners. They say, Hey, I'm interested in buying a team. And the league will start qualifying. Is this person real? Is it someone we want to be an owner? So I'd say my belief is there's never been more qualified buyers yeah. of sports teams than there are today. But I also think the pace of teams for sale actually picking up a bit. Um, you know, in the NFL, if you think- really? want to name some names, um, well, I, look, we just had the Panthers sell in the, in the NFL. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously in Seattle, there's going to be sale in the future. There's questions of what will happen in Denver. So, I mean, there's the teams team sell. I mean, it's I think the pace is picking up. You got a lot of old owners across sports in general. And I'll tell you something that I think is really interesting. The smartest commissioners, they focus very much on making sure they pick the right owners going forward, right. because owners do have a big impact on not only their team, but on the success of the sport long term. And I think getting the right owners into each league is something that is super strategic um, for a commission. I think it's actually you know a core responsibility of a commissioner to make sure they do that.
0: I think that's one of the reasons the NBA has been so successful in so many different ways this decade is because they put actual thought into who was coming into the league with, the, with a couple exceptions. But for the most part, I think they were bringing in a lot of younger, smart, self-driven business people who thought outside of the box. I, I think and NBA's not terrific. Then job. you all get together in some giant room when you do your, your owner meetings or whatever, and there's actually good ideas and people pushing each other. I yeah. think that's what the NFL is missing right now. The NFL is a lot of old rich guys that own the league. And at some point they need new blood and people that are thinking outside the box a little bit more. You don't agree. Well, you love Bob Kraft. I love Bob Kraft too.
2: You you, you know, look, I could tell you, I think we agree on the NBA. I think as it relates to the NFL, I think the difference with the NFL is it's easier to own an NFL team because they make a lot more money. So one of the reasons, you know, so I have two sports I love. I love the NBA. I love the NFL. Yeah. After that, there's nothing that I like. I, I I have huge passion about. And one of the reasons that I was so interested in 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 in, in buying the Panthers, even though I failed, was not only did I, I love. Did, this, I forgot that yeah, you were involved in that. And I, I, to be honest, I should have got it done. It was you know I, I screwed it up. I didn't get it done. Um, what do you mean it, you screwed it up? The
0: you misread, you misread it, or I think it was like a poker hand. You didn't go all in on the right. No, Kings?
2: I, I, I'd say that. The, I think, first of all, I think Dave Tepper's going to be a really good owner. I really yeah. do. Um, and and you I, hate I, I him. Th- you know, hate him though. I don't, I actually like Dave Tepper. I really okay. do. Yeah, yeah, I think he's a good guy. Deep down. Here. I think he replaced someone who needed to badly go. Yeah. Like I, like I look at Jerry and he was bad for the NFL. Yes. You know, he would, I and there were people I look at and, you know, Sherry's out of the league, so I'm free to speak on it. I'm yeah. not going to talk about current owners, but there are people where I just cringe when when they speak and Jerry Richardson was in that, in, in that category. So I think they got rid of a really bad owner. They put a good owner in place in Dave Tepper. Um, you know, it was a, the, you know, the process didn't go the way I thought it was going to go. I think the price that was paid for it was very fair and appropriate and something that I would have, you know, loved to get done at that value. So.
0: So that process, you, what is it? It has, you're down to like the three finalists. How does it go? Are they just telling, are they keep you in the loop? Is there somebody yeah, they, in charge?
2: Yeah. They, um, I'm not sure that Jerry, at the end of the day, it was Jerry Richardson's de- decision who to sell the team to. Right. And I don't think I was the type of owner he wants to sell the team to. That's just the bottom line.
0: Why weren't you the type of
2: owner? I just think, you know, if you you're look, missing a couple of things in the checklist. Um, <laughs> I, you know, he, I don't think he desired to sell the team to me. It was that simple. Do you have
0: so who are you dealing with when you're trying to buy an NFL team? Are you dealing with Goodell or are you dealing with is there a person who's in charge of like
2: Yeah, in any of these situations there's a there's a lot of people involved. Yeah. And, and each league is different as well. You know, I you know, it's what you might do with the NBA might be different than what you do with the NFL. Um they had a they had an investment banker who did a really good job with it. Um, um Steve Greenberg of um of um Allen and company. Oh yeah, they had the yeah. banker. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. Had, that's more normal than not. Sometimes the league will just get involved and help do a deal. I think you. I think you got out good, not getting the Panthers. Yeah, I. I look. I think for me, if Cam's been, having shoulder
0: surgery. Yeah. I don't know. I, it I it would have been, been a great teams. situation.
2: It was. You know, it's it's a it's a better market than people understand. Um, and for me, what I was starting to talk about and I didn't finish the thought was like. For a guy like me who would buy a football team, yeah. I'd be going all in financially to do it. It's a ton of money for me to do something like right. that. And so to buy a team that, that makes real money is something that's very helpful. So when you go back to ask the question that we asked about difference in owners among sports leagues, one of the things in the NFL, these teams are so profitable, it's, it, it, it may put less pressure on you to do other things.
0: But that could flip over the next 20 years, NFL and NBA. And I, I think- yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's why- I would I say know. the NFL- you could argue it's at the peak right now.
2: Yeah, I, I look, I still am a big believer in the NFL and I don't think it's at the peak, but I can tell you the reason that, that the average NFL team and the average NBA team have values that are somewhat similar today is because the NBA has got such a great growth trajectory based on, if you look at that, media, you're going to say, look, it's, got, it's a truly global sport. I mean, I can tell you that I traveled with the team to China um, this past October for a preseason game. And for me, I haven't been in China for 25 years. Last time I was there, I was making shoes as a kid. Okay? Yeah. So I go there, and um, in this experience, and Sasha's with me as well, this experience, Joel said to me, hey, let's go to the mall. So um, I'm like, okay, whatever, we're going to check the mall out. And we're walking through the mall, and I've been, you know, hundreds of places with Joel. And literally, I've never seen more people chase an individual than being in the mall with you all in this luxury mall right next to our hotel. And I tell you this story only because the fandom in China is so incredible. Yeah. I think we had 50 million people watch our preseason game in China. 50 million people, okay? Now, when you think about that- um, like Football, pre- Football's not competing with that, I don't think. It might be a couple hundred thousand people who watch a preseason game in the, in the NFL or something like that. So when you look at the NBA, you have great global growth. And China is this incredible market where the NBA dominates. Um, I think the NBA has been incredibly thoughtful on um, really supporting players to, to, to speak on issues that are important to them to make the world a better place. I think it's actually helped the sport. So a lot of people were scared of that. I think Adam has really embraced it. I think it's been yeah. very good. And that's certainly, obviously it's well-known. That's my mentality as well. So I think we're very aligned on that. And um, and so I think the sport is very well positioned. And, um, the, and the players are just much more famous. And I, I don't know
0: how that, translates to the successes of the two leagues flipping a little bit. But the reality is, you know, even somebody like Kawhi, who barely spoke for eight years, is more famous than anyone except five football players right now.
2: I I think that's right. And look, again, I go back to NFL and the NBA. They're my two sports, the sports I love. In my dream situation, one day I wake up and I own, own an NFL and an NBA team in one market. That would kind of be nirvana for me. Denver. Step in, yeah. I don't see the Kroenke's selling saw, <laughs> the. Uh, I don't see the Kroenke's ever selling saw, saw, their their basketball team. So, and they're great guys. I mean, they, this
0: has happened before, where somebody was a minority owner. It happened with Joe Lacob. Yeah, where a team becomes available, they've kind of been vetted by being, you know, a part owner of another team, and it just makes the whole process easier to grab a team.
2: Yeah, and people always talk about that. For me, to be honest, that I don't think that was ever really an issue because I've grown up. I mean, I know, I know um most owners in sports because of Fanatics. Remember Fanatics is yeah. the largest retail in the world of licensed sports merchandise. You know, I think people talk about Nike, Adidas and, and Fanatics as the three exciting companies within um the sports industry. I um, are I mean we're revolutionizing retail. We've got this V-commerce model that's changing um you know retail in a pretty significant way. So I the, I'm you know I know, these people, I know these people really well. Yeah. So that there was never you know an issue of um you know what do you think about where
0: we are with this league right now? I mean, we've had yet another summer where it just became NBA 2K and all these dudes switched teams. And I think we've learned over the last couple of years that even when somebody signs a new contract, that doesn't mean they're going to stay with the team. You guys signed – did you sign Ben Simmons yet or it's going to happen? Um, it's about it,
2: He's not been signed yet, but certainly there's yeah, rumors that it will happen.
0: It's rumors that it will happen. I, mean, I would assume it would happen. It's a lot of money. But now we're in this point where he – could sign that giant extension, then a year from now be like, hey dudes, um, I really want to go here. And in the old days, it would have been like, well, sorry, you just signed a deal with us. But now it actually seems like the players are controlling where they want to go, even when they have long contracts. Is this a good thing?
2: Well, I think for us, it is a good thing. Because the way I think about it is, it's the question of what kind of organization are you building? And you said something to me when I walked in here about culture. And about yeah. how people work together, and I believe, um, you know, I think teams fall apart all the all the time based on people not, you know, working well together. And to me, um, I think that's something. If your organization works hard on it, you can really, you know, make that a strength versus a weakness. And it's easy. You got look, you have these incredible superstars who all have really strong personalities. Yeah. And getting people to gel is is, is something that it takes work amongst the team, and it takes you know work from the organization. So what I've noticed is it does seem a little generational because some of the people that
0: work for the Ringer, especially the people in their 20s, are like, "This is great. The players should be able to do whatever they want. There shouldn't. They, Look, everybody it, should bounce around. What's wrong with this? Why we root for players, not teams? And I think that's one of the things that's definitely shifted the last 20
2: years. Well, certainly in the NBA. I mean, play, we see it in our in our in our fanatics business where you you have play, you have fans of the players, and we see that. So I can tell you from a fanatics perspective, we're like, this is the most exciting thing on the planet. You've got all, all these great free agents moving around. It's driving business like crazy. Yeah. Last year, you had LeBron, and it was the biggest free agency move in the history of, you know, in the NBA. And now this year, you come back, and you have move after move. You have Kevin, Kyrie, Kawhi. I mean, our jersey sales are just astronomical. So we love it. But if you go back to, you know, the question you were asking from a, from a basketball perspective, the way I look at it is – um Certainly, L.A. and New York are very popular um, free agent markets. Very obvious for all reasons; that are easy to understand. Philadelphia is an hour and ten-minute train ride, thirty-minute helicopter ride from New York City. Um, the taxes are three percent versus twelve percent. So when you're making two hundred million dollars in a contract, there's a lot of money. The tax differential of you know eight points on a two hundred million dollar contract, and I think you know Josh and Blitzer and. Um, Elton have built a real winning organization. And I think, I think, you know, I look at that as if you say there's 30 teams in the league, and let's say half are not going to like it and half will like it. From my belief, I think these are things that, you know, I, I think we can as an organization come out on the right side of that.
0: You don't feel like the league is hitting some sort of crossroads, though? I, I like where it's headed. Just from a competitive standpoint?
2: Well, I, listen, I, I don't, for, first of all, the way I think about it is, you know, the goal of any sports organization, whether it's the Patriots that we were just talking about or the Eagles or the Sixers is to win It's to win championships. That's why you're there. I believe that the dynamics that are in sports today, I think that, you know, in general, as an owner in any sport, I'd like the dynamics of the way sports are headed. I just
0: wonder the continuity of something. I mean, maybe it just doesn't matter anymore. Maybe it's just because I remember different eras where, you know, in the 80s Celtics, the 80s Lakers, the 90s Bulls, even what Duncan and the Spurs had, and Duncan could have left in 2000. He didn't. Um, right but now you even look at the but, Warriors for the last six years. If you replace Barnes with Durant, it's basically the same nucleus of a team for six years. And I really liked watching them and I was used to them. And I, I, I think basketball depends at least a little bit on the continuity of the guys together. Now you could say, well, Toronto won Kawhi was there a year. Yeah, sure. But I also remember last year when LeBron beat MJ's scoring mark And he did it in the Lakers and nobody cared. And it was a weird moment. And I I do wonder like that connection, I feel it with Embiid in in Philly. Like Philly loves Embiid. I could see him retiring there. And if he was able to play 12, 15, 16 years and stay in the same place and make as much money as he would make, I still feel like that's more meaningful. But other people disagree with me.
2: But but what I would say is for a well-run team, they're going to stay in one place. Right. And so, um, you know, I think that's an opportunity. So I think, you know, I think- that, have,
0: I would say they might stay in one place because I think the Celtics are a really well-run team and they just lost two guys.
2: And the Celtics, look, Wick is a really good friend of mine. They are a really well-run organization.
0: It really so, depends on the player. And,
2: and, and then I think it's, again, I look at chemistry. I think so much in business. Like when you ask me, and somebody asked me this question yesterday, like when you go to hire people, what do you look for? And one of the three attributes I said was- People to play well on a team together. Yeah, and I think you've got to lead a team together. It's the same thing in business or in sports. If you take a bunch of great athletes in in, in, in business and you can't get them to work together, your results are going to be shit. And it's the same thing. It's the same thing. You know, uh, on the field, on the court, on the ice. So to me, chemistry and getting people to play together, it's something that a lot of people don't get. I'll tell you. Look, it's widely known how close I am with Robert Robert Kraft um, and the Kraft family. The probably the biggest thing I learned from him. And I started like I'm a sponge, remember? I, I barely made it out of high school. Yeah. I didn't go to I didn't go to college. Um so all of my learning is from having smart people around me yeah. and from being able to watch them. And I think the biggest thing I learned from Robert and Jonathan Kraft is they sweat every little detail of their business to keep it together and it's not an accident the dynasty that they've built. It's by it's by leadership, okay? Right. And yeah, you need to get luck and timing and but you know, he hired his coach you know, he's had, he's had Tom Brady, the, you know, these are, you know, two b- big personalities. They've kept them, you know, working well together. So I think that is a, I think that good, I could go through, and I would never do this, but I could go through and look at every owner of sports and tell you I could put them in three categories of perennial winner in the middle, perennial loser. And it's easy. To, and, and you just, and it doesn't mean someone won't have good and bad runs within a long period of time, but it does start with ownership. But then the the
0: flip side of that is you just have, A team like the Lakers that's born on third base and is in LA and is one of the most famous franchises we have. And and that's a strategic advantage. They can fuck up for six years and still end up with LeBron and AJ. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. So the strategic advantage that they have and a couple other teams
2: have. I started by saying that if you're in New York, listen, I believe in sports. If you're in any great major market, you have a huge strategic advantage. And, And that's just, you know, to me, and if you don't exploit it, then you're not doing your job.
0: See, I worry... I, I don't know. I, I worry we're heading for a reckoning because if nobody, you know, we have 30 teams. So maybe we have too many. Maybe it starts there, but there, we I, don't have think,
2: this... I, don't, I don't think there's any chance we have too many teams. I think if, if anything, I, we think the add teams? Can, I, I mean, I, I'm speaking on behalf of entrepreneur. I'm not speaking on behalf of the Sixers or the NBA. I, I think we have, I think there is demand for more teams. I think, um, you know, I think Adam could sell as many teams as he want to sell. And I think the league could handle more teams. I don't think there's any. The
0: history says that's a bad
2: idea, but I think they could add yeah. two teams. Right. And that's what I think would be logical. I think Seattle and Vegas would be cool. Yeah. Look, I don't want to, the NBA should speak on that, but I think, you know, the way you're thinking about it's logical.
0: Yeah. But I mean. And these things take years and years. Because my thing is if we're at 30, we might as well be at 32 and have 16 per conference. But. I wonder if there's a day of reckoning down the road where maybe we have relegation and stuff like that. And if you're just completely incompetent for years and years, and guys are fleeing your team, maybe there should be a price for that because in soccer it works.
2: Yeah. I would personally love it Yeah. because to me, again, I always think that I'm going to outperform. Yeah. So, but you know, for the people that are on the, but you know, again, split the league in half. There's going to be half that hate that. and There's going to be half that love that. I don't think, you, you know, if you ask, you know, the best owners in sports—they're going to say, "Yeah, we love the idea of relegation. Let's keep pushing people out," you know, because they're not scared of being relegated. When when the
0: owners get together, um, what are the dynamics? You, you have all these rich, rich, successful. Yeah, I, I would say high, high self-esteem people, and they're all in one place, and they all think they're right.
2: Yeah. So for me, it's actually interesting because I don't participate as you know. Josh and David are the the. Owners that represent the Sixers, but I probably have the most owner interaction because of fanatics. There's not a day that goes by that I'm not not dealing with an owner in yeah. sports, um, and so I look. I I have a lot of people I learn and grow from, and 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 pick information from. And it, there are look, there are getting owners to work together is you know also it's it's a it's a core responsibility of the commissioner.
0: I enjoy it. I enjoy all the little secret stories. There the are foreground. many around. <laughs> yeah.
2: Uh, you, give me you, one, you, need to, you need to come in with like some Grey Goose and Beer here if you want to get the secret stories coming out. <laughs> you uh, you got to know Embiid pretty well. I do know.
0: Give I, me one story about Embiid that would surprise people. Um,
2: The story about Joe that would surprise people is he does not drink alcohol, and everyone thinks he does because he's got such a big personality. Yeah. I've seen him, and there were people think, like everyone thinks he drinks, and Joe is, I'm super close with Joe. I've seen him consume alcohol twice in his life. And I've been with him hundreds of times. He does not drink alcohol. He hates it. He's scared of it. Um, And by the the two times he did drink, which they scared me. (laughs) I'm joking, obviously. But 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 Joe doesn't drink alcohol. I mean, that's certainly you know that's a I don't know. I I think a lot of people. I don't know if that surprised you or not. Um, I'm getting some head shaking. Yes, over here. Kyle drinks alcohol over there. Yeah, Yeah. I do too. Yeah, Um, but but fortunately, Joe doesn't. he used he used to love Krispy Kreme donuts, but he's over that. He's uh, he's very focused on his conditioning now.
0: Yeah, what's is that is that a real thing now? Are we going to get thirty five pounds lighter, Joel Embiid
2: this year? He, he, Joe is determined. I I've talked to Joe. He actually just texted me as I was walking in here. He just got back from from uh, vacation, and he's you know I talked to him a few days ago. He, he's he's on a mission. I think he's on a mission. I think. Listen, I could tell you one thing. Joel is, and I like. I think we're so fortunate with Joel, with Ben, uh, but, you know, you asked me specifically about Joel. Joel is a really smart and intelligent guy. Um, also, you know, I, I think a lot of people might underestimate his intellect. Um, when he went through what he went through last year, he's not just like, shit, we lost and let's move on. He's saying that's going to drive him like crazy to 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 be better. And I think he also knows he's got a body he's got to take really good care of. So I think... Um, I would. I, I'm a huge believer that he's gonna. Uh, um, just, I think his conditioning will be the best ever.
0: I honestly think he's he's doing himself a I'll, disservice I'll, I'll, if he doesn't think otherwise. Yeah, but, but I he, thought but, he was too heavy last year. Yeah,
2: yeah but he, he look. He he'll, he'll get to whatever he thinks is the right place. But I know he's very focused on on great, especially with big
0: guys. When you're carrying extra weight like that, well, big I, guys can, I like, can speak
2: for that myself. Yeah. I'm definitely, I'm definitely <laughs> carrying some extra weight weight now, and it's definitely it hurts Boom. me in every way I move my body.
0: <laughs> when you're talking about a seven foot two guy. They're like a skyscraper, you know, and you, and the more weight you add, the more stuff it, it could screw it up. But I, I thought you guys at least should have made round three last year and Milwaukee kind of had your number during the season.
2: I don't I, know if it would have been yeah, as I, simple I, as oh, I, don't yeah, hear that. I think we actually had Milwaukee's number, but, Well, yeah, Giannis yeah.
0: was a problem for you guys. Yeah.
2: yeah. I mean, I, I was, look, here's the thing. Once you get the outcome like we had, you just need to move forward and say, you know, what's next and how do you build and learn and grow from that? But um, certainly, um, it wasn't the ending that we should have had, and certainly we shouldn't have been in that position to start with. We should have just, you know, we should have been in a stronger position and not come down to a lucky shot that I think all Philadelphia will see for the next, you know, they'll imagine that shot in, until we get our first trophy.
0: We stole at Horford from us.
2: I'm not feeling bad. I didn't yet. enjoy that. That makes me happy. I mean, now that now that I know you really like Horford's
0: stuff. great, yeah. I, I did not like Ky- Kyrie, especially year two, I liked him year one. Um, but was happy to see Kyrie go, but I loved Al Horford.
2: Well, I'm He was glad, a great I'm, teammate. I'm, I'm glad that some misery is coming your way.
0: He was a great Celtic, and I look forward to the Celtics getting revenge. You, you, I feel like the Celtics aren't on your radar anymore. You've moved on. No, you know, listen- To this I, like, mediocre I'll, Brooklyn team that they're going to have next year.
2: I'll tell you, I have huge respect for Wick as an owner. I think he's a really good owner. I yeah. think they built a really good organization. I think anyone, anytime you don't respect- um, First of all, Boston, Boston may be the most successful. I, mean, I don't know that anyone's- ever, I mean, how many- Rings as Boston got. You've got the Patriots have six, Celtics have one. We have
0: twelve of the century.
2: Twelve the century. Right. Yeah. yeah. I was just so you we were have four ahead.
0: times as many as the Yankees this century. Yeah. We don't think about last century with baseball. We just talk about this century.
2: Let me tell you this. So so we just had the um the Blues beat um your hockey team. In game seven, yes. Yeah. And the sales were spectacular. You know why? For for the Bruins or the Blues? For the Blues. Yeah. They were, they, they were spectacular because that market had, you know, St. Louis hadn't won a championship. Right. It was their first championship. It was literally as big as a hot market as we've ever had for fanatics was the, the the blues hot market. And by Toronto, what was incredibly painful for me to watch was also spectacular. I mean, these were two great hot markets for Well, fans. when
0: you haven't won a title and you win that first one, you're spending at least somewhere, depending how much money you have, somewhere between 50 and $300 on T-shirts and hats.
2: Right, and it's most, just you you has to. It's coming from us as well, which we, we, yeah. we enjoy and appreciate. I
0: remember when the Pats won in 01, we hadn't won a title in 16, 15 years in Boston, and they won. I was just like, well, I, I'll, I'll, what is it? I'll so, buy the so, SI set, I'll buy the hat, I'll buy the T-shirt. So
2: I'll give you an ownership story that you'll like, and, and this will resonate with you really well. So um, I was with, I've been with Robert at certainly last couple of years of him winning the AFC championship games. And I've been with other teams when they've won, you know, the NFC championship game. And when you watch um, the Patriots win an AFC championship game, they don't even care.
0: Yeah, we don't even look at this. They,
2: they're, they're like, okay. Yeah, we don't then, care about actually, those t-shirts. There's no celebration.
0: You lose money when the Pats but, but win I'm the AFC not even title. Talking about,
2: now I'm not even talking about the sports merchandise. I'm just talking about the mentality yeah. of the Patriots, which is like, we're not here to win an AFC championship. Yeah. We're here to win, it, win, it, win a Super Bowl. That's it, period, end of the story. Right. It's, and that talks about great ownership. I mean there's you know this you know focused on what's next.
0: Let's take a quick break to talk about Google Fi. Doesn't it feel like most phone plans just weren't made with us in mind? Between bad coverage, paying too much for data you don't ever actually use and crazy roaming charges, Google Fi is a phone plan by Google made with features that people like you and I actually want. Features like free international roaming so you never have to worry about calling up your provider to let them know you'll be traveling. Three networks in one. So, you can stay connected wherever you are from your home to your office and everywhere in between. Google Fi works on your favorite smartphone, so you don't have to switch phones just to switch plans. In fact, it's as easy as downloading the app, and you only have to pay for the data you use. Plus, with bill protection, if you ever do use a lot of data, your bill is capped at a reasonable amount. Learn more at fi.google.com. That is fi.google.com. Switch to Google Fi, a phone plan by Google. Back to Michael Rubin. So this is a good question for you. I've always wondered why people don't do this. They make the extra T-shirts and hats. They make them for both sides, not knowing how it's going to go. Yeah. And then the team that loses, they have all this stuff and then they like send it to Africa.
2: Yes. Why can't I buy that stuff? So that's the way it used to work. It doesn't work that way. So we, just so you know, so Fanatics, um, and I, I think most people probably know the business, but it's the largest retail in the world of licensed sports merchandise. In addition to the Fanatics site, we also operate the NFL shop the NBA store, the NHL store, uh, the MLB shop, MLS store and 300 individual college sites. So we make all of the championship merchandise in the NFL, um, in hockey, in baseball, and a lot of it in in the NBA. And so the way it works today, and it's such a better experience. um, First, you know, our business is really a, you know, we've kind of invented this category of vertical commerce. It's kind of like if you think about like a Lululemon or a H&M or a um, Zara. of They're like these great vertical brands, primarily brick and mortar based. Yeah. We're, you know, primarily e-commerce based. Okay. So what that allows you to do is, to, you know, in sports, there's moments that happen in sports every single day and it allows us the opportunity to merchandise around those moments. So what we'll do for a championship, like the Blues when they're playing in game seven against, um, you know, Boston, is we have printers in both markets. Everything's set up online. And then the second they win...
0: Oh, so you haven't actually made it yet.
2: It, there's very few merchandise that's made. So the only people we make merchandise for is very small quantities of merchandise that will go to stores for the first couple hours. Everything online is not made until the second there's a winner. So both the Blues and, and the Raptors were, were major, um, you know, m- you know, major hot markets for us. So everything online, the manufacturing starts the second they win. And then for retail... There'll be some very small orders if it's a game seven. Um, and that's the only merchandise that gets destroyed and thrown away. But it's a teeny quantity of merchandise, not me. I mean, yeah, but this you're, talking, is about, my you're point. talking about thousands or hundreds of t-shirts. But why is because it destroyed? Inter- yeah, because the, but the internet has allowed, if you just think about this, the internet's so efficient. Like those two hot markets were probably $30 million just in revenue over, over a short period of time online. And so we're able to... Um, really effectively make that merchandise as we sell and get to the customer and not have that waste in excess. And that's why fanatics is such an interesting business, because we can see these, these moments happen to sports and then merchandise around them without having to waste inventory.
0: All right. I get all that, but why can't I buy like a like a Lakers 2008 NBA champion t-shirt? Win. I know, but I would wear that around the office because I hate the Lakers, but you guys didn't fucking win. Listen, this I'm going to tell you what t-shirt. I'm going to do for you. I'll, pro- what,
2: I'll probably get a legal letter for someone, but you pick the t-shirt that you want in the next championship. I will send you the, the, the winning t-shirt of the team that lost. This it. is a true story. I will story. do that for you. This is a true I will, story. I will do that for you.
0: 2000- so long
2: as it's not anything Sixers related. <laughs> that I will not
0: give you the pleasure of. 2002, the Super Bowl, February. We beat the Rams. I'm leaving the Superdome and they're selling stuff for both teams because this is before the yeah. Fanatics era. And I bought this Champions Rams mug and t-shirt And then I wore the Rams T-shirt for like six years, and it was like my favorite T-shirt because it was like fuck those guys. So I'm telling you, this is this should be a market for you. Yeah, like the Toronto fans should be wearing Golden State Warriors 2019 NBA champ shirts right now, just like get the hugest
2: kick out of it. Yeah, I'm not sure. Spiteful Bostonian. Here's the good news. We've gone from 250 million dollars in 2011 when I bought bought Finax back to over three billion dollars next year, and we're just getting it started. This we, sounds like another we've billion. Got, we've got we've got, a, we've got a lot of growth without focused on the wrong team that didn't win despite uh, the yeah. spite
0: purchases. Yeah, the joke spite, purchases. Yeah.
2: We're, we're not. We're, I mean, we're not going to. Yeah, we should have
0: on your website. It should be spite purchases.
2: Maybe we'll give you a license. We'll let you run the spite section.
0: We have a Rams fan at the ringer. I absolutely would have given him a Rams Super Bowl champion shirt. Be like, sorry,
2: this is close. Listen, I time. do. You've got one a year. per Now you can take. You got. You got four champions per year. You get one per year. You tell me what it is. And we'll give you a losing team, and you can torture one. person We're in a out.
0: slump now. We haven't won a title in like six months.
2: It's tough. I, I mean, I, I I feel bad for you. This, this is man. wait heading
0: into August. It'll be six months, Kyle. We gonna be all right. We'll be all right. The Pre-season Pats haven't won a title in five and a half months. I mean, we they haven't had another Super Bowl, but it's still you know you start to. It's
2: going to be a little the only thing it. I really want to happen is that I just don't want the Patriots and Eagles to play again against each other because that 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 puts me in a really difficult situation. So that's the one thing I want to avoid. Yeah, I thought I want I, each team to win the Super fast Bowl. Fast so long it for as the Pats. Look, look. I mean, look to me. You know, if I, you know, so. This, the, you know, my stake in the Sixers one day and owned another team and they play the Sixers. I'm not rooting for the Sixers. I'd be rooting for the team right. I own. You know, Robert and John the Craft are literally their family to me. So I don't, you know, it, it just, it felt wrong. That's what I could tell you. Um, I, oh, I really hope that they never play each other again in the Super Bowl.
0: What's the most surprising apparel trend that you don't understand right now?
2: The most surprising apparel trend that I don't understand right now. Um, that's a great question. Or maybe there's no trends. No, there's lots of trends, but I understand them. The question I'm trying to think of one that I don't understand that doesn't make sense to me. Um, you know, the, the trends that are driving business right now are logical trends. I mean, for us, by the way, if you go back to really how we've grown so much as a company, I mean, the first thing is, think about you grew up in Boston. Right? Yeah. Now you live here in Los Angeles. If you went out to buy a Celtics jersey or, or a... A Boston Red Sox jersey—you're not going to be able to find that. So the first thing Fanatics did was capture anybody who lived out of market who was no longer be able to buy that inventory in the new market they live, where this their school that they went to college at, yeah, or the pro teams—that was a big market for us. So just kind of fulfilling the unmet demand, and then the whole licensed industry was always—you um, know—you really think about Nike, Adidas, Under Armour; these are great performance brands. They really partner with the leagues and teams because they want to elevate you know, their brand to sell more branded footwear and apparel. And so they didn't chase the business, the license business, the way we do. We wake up and go to bed every day, obsessed about how do we maximize every sell in the licensed sports business. So I think for us, what's been incredible is we've, we've seen so much growth through um, making merchandise that wasn't previously available, available to people that were out of market. And then to really, you know, just have whatever the fan desires. And the way we've built our supply chain is to, to, Really be able to in real time meet the demand of whatever moment gets created. So I don't think so. The immediacy would be the big yeah. So talk about Kawhi coming to the Clippers. Boom. Five years ago, you know that couldn't be capitalized on. Now that's going to be an enormous moment for us. And the moment that the NBA, you know, proves you know each of these these um, you know transactions, we're out there selling that merchandise. So Kawhi, he signed today.
0: Yep. So when can you have the jersey out? I don't have my phone. I'm, I'm
2: assuming it's today. I'm assuming I'm assuming it's um it's live. So, so going to take a look right now to see if you can buy a Kawhi jersey yet. But I'm assuming it's it's already. I mean, what about we're, a
0: Terry Rozier Hornets jersey? Maybe not. You don't rush order that one.
2: You know, our, so I'll tell you something really interesting. In the NFL, um, the way it used to work is Nike made players jerseys for about five players per team, and we actually went to the league five years ago and said, look. There's 1,700 guys to play and yeah, that's they, you can give in a given year. we, I we never want, liked that. We want to sell all 1,700. Yeah. And so now we make all 1,700. So if you go to NFL shop or you go to Fanatics, you can buy any player anytime. We do the same thing in the NBA. We do the same thing in hockey. So again, that's why, you know, Fanatics has really helped to better satisfy fans because fans want different things. And, and you've got to be able to give the fan whatever they want the home model, the away model, the alternative model, men's, women's, kids. And by the way, Players get hot and players get cold and somebody get injured and, you know, things change. And so the idea that the way it used to work, you bought your inventory a year in advance and guessed who was going to, you know, what teams would be hot, and what players would be hot. Is a now complete, you flip it. Yeah. Now, now everything's done in real time.
0: You should start making the Westbrook heat jersey right now. Let's put um, it online. Yeah, you can get him. Get him?
2: Yeah. So he's more focused on getting the, uh, can we get him the, can we get him the. Oh, um, saw so
0: the, the choir there. Yeah. Uh, you like that? No, I think I think We're it's, on it. I think it's a really interesting time because I even remember two years ago, my son's name is Ben, so he's Ben Simmons. Love it. And when he was all excited for him to go Has to the ben Boston, Simmons met Ben Simmons. They have met, and there's a picture of them together. Good. I don't, I don't think taller Ben Simmons was as excited as shorter Ben Simmons, but um, tall Ben Simmons is a good guy. No, he is he, a good he, guy. He, no, he's, he, he he loves his fans. Um, so when he got drafted by the Sixers, my Ben Simmons was like. I want Ben Simmons. I actually, stuff. by
2: the way, I told Ben Simmons last night I was doing this, and I told him he should because I was with him at dinner last night. I was going to actually drag him in just to be funny.
0: I've met Ben Simmons. Yeah. He's a good well, guy.
2: You, you could have had him. You could have had him this morning. and uh, yeah, that would have been he, great. Yeah. He, so he's, he's far more entertaining than me.
0: So my he might not talk
2: about fanatics as eloquently, but
0: <laughs> my, not, my Ben Simmons wanted the Ben Simmons thing. We had to order it, and it took like a couple of weeks. It seems like even in the last couple of years,
2: get much it's, faster. It's faster. Yeah, because the way it works now. Is we bring blanks in of every team, and then we keep them domestically and we print them on demand. So the way it used to work is you might have had to make the blank first. Now we have blank jerseys here for each of the teams, um, and then you can print them as you go.
0: What about the ones where teams make their where got, people want to make their own jerseys, but it's kind of a fuck you to the team or? Well,
2: you, you can't make your own jersey. Like Dolan sucks, and yeah, you get a Knicks jersey. We, we, yeah,
0: you, you have to like. Yeah, we, we, all we have that lots stuff. of
2: things that you can't do. And, yeah, and, and certainly. So that do would you have somebody well. who's? who vets all that stuff. It's done with technology and the leagues give you words as well that you can't use. And then once every year you screw something up and you get screamed at. And that's just part of the business.
0: <laughs> so people are trying to get through the sensors.
2: Every day, every day we had a, Oh God, <laughs> I, I shouldn't even bring this up, but we no, had, this a, is great. We had a horrible situation with the, the tragic, who is the, uh, I'm embarrassed the, the animal who, who passed away in the zoo a couple of years ago. Um, the, the Yeah. And so, we we were w- without getting to which league it was. We were um, customers were making them like crazy, and then the league told us to take them down. Then fans went crazy, and the league said to put it back up. And we, we, you know, we people get, you know, we we create some good social media banter when people are unhappy with some of the things that 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 we either screw up or um or the leagues ask us to do. What about like Chinese jerseys? Yeah, I mean, we 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 have we, in the NBA we do um we do different versions that like uh, the
0: letters and stuff. Y- y-
2: yeah. Yeah, now, certainly one of the big risks in our business, one of the things that we fight against very much is counterfeit. And there's a, there's, you know, there's a big problem with counterfeit in the licensed sports business. And that's actually really enabled through marketplaces. The most counterfeit merchandise is sold through, you know, um, Alibaba's, eBay's, Amazon's. I think all these places are working to clean it up right now, but it's, it's been a big problem of kind, of kind of illegal merchandise, not authorized, not properly made. And that's something that us in the leagues, you know, always want to make sure that we're, you know, protecting fans from that. Do you think the throwback jersey thing that's kind of tailed off? No, I think. I, no, I think. I think it's good, and I think license is actually going going through a really strong period now. We see you know tremendous momentum in the business, and one of the things we think about actually is how do we grow the overall category? Because the, the the global category of licensed sports is about a twenty five billion dollar category, yeah. But apparel is about a trillion dollar category, right? So what I think about is like share of closet. So I'm looking around in this room right now, and I don't see any licensed sports merchandise. That anyway, we got you know. Um, Six people, no licensed sports merchandise. So we got to think about how do we. Um, I see some headwear behind me. No one's wearing it. Um, we got to think about how do we keep you know growing the share of closet. How do we get more? How do we bring new categories? Kyle can
0: attest, my closet has a lot of stuff. Oh yeah, I get, I get stuff. Kyle got, Kyle way. got a lot of freebies for me from Good. stuff well, I have, I stuff think, I've had from the past. The problem is when you hit your forties, it's a little harder to be like, I'm going to wear my Red Sox jersey today. My, my friend Daniel, who's like. In his fifties now, he still wears Red Sox jerseys, and we make fun of him. I do feel like there's a point. Some people don't care.
2: Yeah, I'll still wear mine. From but by the way, I n- I never wear jerseys ever. But I wear lots of licensed sports merchandise. So I wear great t shirts. It's weird so for us
0: to wear NBA jerseys after yeah. like age what forty two.
2: I've n- I've never been one to wear jerseys myself. I'm just not that cool. We're Football jerseys off.
0: have stayed yeah. pretty cool for yeah. the most part.
2: But we look, we sell. I mean, we we sell more jerseys than anybody in the world. Um, in all the sports. Um, but our job again is to maximize each category of merchandise. So we don't just want to maximize t-shirts, hoodies, jerseys, and headwear. We want to figure out how do you get new products into the marketplace. So, so the hoodies
0: have gone way up. It's like five, six ho- hoodies years. Hoodies I'm a big like, hoodie wear. By the like, way, this yeah. is-
2: I'm actually, I generally wake up and go to bed in a hoodie. This yeah. Season, I'm out of character today.
0: The hoodies are, uh, I would imagine that that blew yeah. up.
2: And by the way, you got to keep making better hoodies and elevate hoodies. And you know, I even had someone, by the way, this weekend in Vegas, someone talked to me, uh, actually Meek Mill said to me this weekend in Vegas, like, Michael, you got to do a collaboration with Off-White. And literally, he's like, I want to reach out to the guy. This is a great idea. Like, we should be doing Off-White licensed sports merchandise. So I was like, Meek, it's a great idea. Literally, it's just like, so that's an idea. How do you grow the market? So it's a perfect example of literally- three o'clock in the morning, Meek just gets on his performance. We're talking about fanatics and, you know, Meek is now an owner of Lids, yeah. uh, which we're partners in together with him. And, um, and all of a sudden he's talking about Off-Bright. And I hadn't thought about it, but, you know, he thinks from, you know, kind of that kind of fashion forward, um, you know, perspective. What is the most popular hat right now? Style. The most popular hat would definitely be the New Era fifty nine fifty hat, which the, it's the classic hat. It's the baseball hat that's you know on, on field, the, the NFL hat that's on field, and that's that's still the number one hat.
0: And that's been number one for a couple of years.
2: It's been number one for a long time. It's it's been number one hat for a long time.
0: Are there Fanatics stores?
2: Yeah. So our business, so or you just
0: yeah. you you have satellite places. So
2: it's it's interesting. We started only as an e commerce site. Yeah. So we started with Fanatics and then NFL Shop NBA st- Store. NHL store and MLB store. And then what happened is the e-commerce business kept growing and growing. Owners were coming to us say, Hey, we need you to operate our venue because we want to give an integrated experience to a fan so that if a fan walks into a stadium, they want to be able to to buy it online at the league store and pick it up in the stadium or be in the stadium if the stadium's out of merchandise, you know, Hey, they can use the online inventory to service that fan. So, so we now have about 50, um, we have about 50 uh, individual um, venues that we operate in San Francisco. We operate most, most, most of the teams in San Francisco as an example. Yeah. Um, and so that's, it's, it's a relatively, it's about of, you know, again, next year will be over $3 billion. It's about a $200 million piece of our business, Um. but it is growing nicely. And I think it's very strategic to best servicing the fan. We are also a large investor in Lids, which is the largest um, licensed sports retailer as well.
0: Have you noticed like what those little Amazon pop-up stores, like they have a couple in LA it's like these small spaces and you basically order online, but they have a couple sample sizes. Yeah. I I was wondering like what, but I don't, I, it's an interesting model. I don't know if it works, but uh, it's, it's definitely noticeable.
2: Yeah. I, I haven't spent enough time to really understand. I can tell you for us, we want to make sure that, that, we make the merchandise that, that the fan wants available in whatever channel they want. So whether they want to buy it online, whether they want to buy it mobile, whether they want to buy it in an app, whether they want to buy it in a venue, whether they want to buy it in a store, whether they want to buy it, you know, at a bookstore, whether they want to buy it, you know, in whatever, you know, that's you know our job is to grow the market. For me, is you know, an you know, entrepreneur who you know we have this company that's you know I want I'm trying to think about how do we get it from three billion dollars to ten billion dollars over the next decade. So the most important thing we need to do is keep growing the category and get a bigger share of that trillion dollar apparel market. Is Amazon a competitor, a partner, or both? So um, Amazon um, today is is a competitor. They do sell licensed sports merchandise. I'd say most of the better products, you know, you can't buy at Amazon. Yeah. Um, You know, the leagues want to sell them through their own direct-to-consumer business and through their, you know, kind of their strategic retailers. That makes sense. Um, I do think as a big growth strategy for fanatics long-term, we believe that, Every global marketplace, from Amazon to Alibaba to uh, eBay um, to Walmart, who we just did a deal with here uh, in the U.S. to coupon in Korea to Rakuten in, in 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 Japan and so on. Each of these marketplaces, um, over time, I think you see fanatics. You know making a broad assortment available through these marketplaces because we want to be where the customer is. But it needs to be, we think very much about our brand showing up in the right way and it needs to be brand right for us. I mean, we're responsible for the intellectual property of the sports leagues. That's a huge responsibility. And you need to make sure when you represent the brand, you do it in the right way. Have they thought of, you know,
0: now that it's just a merry-go-round with the NBA every year, nobody's... Did you say there was a stat... Steph Curry has been on the NBA team the longest out of anyone in the league. And Giannis is like in like eighth.
2: I did not see that.
0: Yeah. Klay Thompson's like third. Um, So somebody buys a jersey, you know, you buy your Warriors KD jersey. Some dude who loves KD spends $200 on a jersey. And then KD's gone in three years. Is there any sort of exchange program that we could do?
2: so, So American Express came to us together with the NBA and we created a jersey assurance program with them. Uh, that we started in the last year or two, and it's been incredibly successful. I think you see Shaq in the commercials with the um, NBA American Express Jersey Assurance ads. Yeah. And, and um, that was something that we did together with the NBA and with American Express. And I think it's been an incredibly successful program. I think it gives fans extra comfort. Um, and so I think it's been a, a really good program.
0: So that Kyrie, the Brooklyn Kyrie jersey, I would get that one insured, because who knows with that guy. I mean, a year and a half from now, he might just be like, I've always liked Miami. And that's it, he's gone. You're just smiling at me because you can't say anything because you're an owner. Well, but I look, I just don't I, trust any look, of these guys. Look, I think
2: they could hop teams tomorrow. I, look, I I think people um, can hop teams, but I think that um, you know it's an organization's responsibility to you know to do everything they can to create the right culture where you know people are working well together. So,
0: or the guy is just has people around them. I'm not saying Kyrie, but just anybody. Like you've seen, these guys all have the five, six, seven people around them. Yeah. They're all like, "Why aren't you getting more shots? Why aren't you the guy?" And there I don't there know. is
2: some of that. I'll also tell you something that I've been really impressed with, and I, and I mean this with complete sincerity. I think that NBA superstars are the most sophisticated and smartest, I agree and with most that. advanced that they've ever been. Like when I think about conversations that I have, there are so many um, NBA superstars that are hitting me up about business opportunities, and, and I'm having like really intelligent conversations yeah. with guys about this. And people are like, you know. Um, even this weekend, you know, I was with with a couple of people and they, they care deeply about business. So I love to see, you know, athletes in general and certainly in the NBA, these people becoming real strong business people. And I think it makes them better on the court as well. Because if you have such a good, you know, if 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 you start to develop good business sense, I think that helps you be a better um player as well, because you just learn to 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 win even that much more. But I think the NBA superstar has never been more sophisticated and more um intelligent. And I think um making really good decisions on their own. And it, Look, there's always special situations, but these, these this is a smart group of guys.
0: I think that's why KD and Kyrie went to Brooklyn. I think the business, because on the surface, it makes no sense to pick the Nets over the Knicks. The Knicks are a 70-year franchise with 100 times as many fans playing in the most important te- NBA building te- we te- have. team
2: was bought by Joe and Clara Tsai. He's a co-founder yeah. of Alibaba. Yes. He's built one of the most important companies in China. Um, he's, um, by the way, they're my partner We're competitors on the court. And you
0: just told and, me and, and how my, many people
2: watch, they, they, by the way, they're my, they're my partner in the Reform Alliance. They, they're yeah. a major contributor in the Reform Alliance. You just Alliance.
0: said 50 million people watched yeah. Yeah. a so, game so, in China. Like, so,
2: and to me, I believe any sports organization that I want to be involved with, I think should always be on the right side of, of, of that, that. That should be an advantage to us.
0: Yeah. I think that was a huge asset for them. And those guys go there and they're looking at it, not just as a basketball decision, but as. Not just Alibaba, but also like Rock Nation and all the stuff they're trying to do, and they, I think, really sold them on a whole overall yeah, look, thing.
2: Look, Rock Nation's and I gotta say something. I didn't know anything about Rock Nation until two years ago. We got into a force. I don't know if you really understand this. We got into a forced marriage because um, you know Meek Mill was one of my you know closer friends, and I sat next to him in court the day when I thought he was going for a fifteen minute routine hearing, and I watched him get sent to prison for two to four years for not committing a crime. Against the recommendation of both the DA and probation officer who said he shouldn't be sentenced. And um, I literally, you know, they took him away um, to prison. And basically, I started crying. He started, you know, tearing up. And I looked at him. I said, I'm not going to stop talking to you out of prison. Well, sitting right next to me was this woman, Desiree Perez from Rock Nation, who kind of runs Rock Nation. And Desiree said, I'm not stopping. I'm like, who are you? Who are you? And we, and we joined forces. And I got to tell you something going through what I went through with the past two years with rock nation they stepped up for Meek in a way that i think most people would not step up for somebody so i can tell you um you know it's and people someone's just asked me about jay you know i didn't know other than to meet jay socially you know you know five times in my life before you know the you know a year and a half ago watching the way they stand up for things that they believe in in this world whether they're you know nothing to do with sports. Just they, when when Jay sees something that he thinks isn't right, um, they're going to go deal with it. Um, when Twenty One Savage was in pr- in prison, you know for you know really for no reason, you know he went and you know just said go fix it, and you know it got fixed. So um, it's interesting to see to see the inside of of Rock Nation because I've gained so much respect for for kind of the core values of, of how they think.
0: It is a weird time as we head into next decade. You're signing an NBA player, and you're not just trying to entice them with the organization and the city now you have to bring all these extra well, things to the table i feel like which yeah, so, which
2: isn't a bad thing so i think what what i generally hear from um athletes start like from the best athletes forget about the nba just stars in sports is the first thing they want to think about is you know are they going to go to an organization where where they, they can win championships you know most strong competitors they think about that first yeah okay two how's the chemistry going to be with the people they're going to play with and this again this is any sport um Three, how do they think about the organization? Is it a winning organization? Okay. They're smart. They're evaluated. The same way The same way a sports team evaluates a player, a player is evaluating the quality of the, of the sports organization that they're going to go to play for. For money, but generally there's a lot of people. The money almost works itself out because there's yeah. multiple people wanting to do that. And then they'll look at a city and say, is this a good city to be in where I can get additional business opportunities? What's going to be my endorsements? So I think that, the, and that's why I said, I've never seen more sophisticated um, athletes and stars than there are today asking all the right questions. You know, the internet, social media, it's educated people in a way that we didn't have 10 or 15 years ago. The world's changed a lot. I agree.
0: And when they enter the league, I think the league has done a good job of looking out for them, coming out of the gate and teaching them yeah. a couple things. But yeah, and...
2: I think about it with my daughter. I mean, my daughter, the access she has today, I mean, you know, she'll come ask me a question. And if I don't want to answer the question, she's like, she's got it from the internet in two seconds. It's not like she wasn't that way when we grew up.
0: True. Um, so you you seem very confident about the Sixers-Celtics thing. I'm just going gonna to say, don't count us you, out. You know, I,
2: don't count us out. Me, let me say this. I'm not confident of anything. Don't count us I'm out. I'm not confident in anything because my mentality in life, in business, personally, in sports, until you've accomplished your goal, you haven't done shit. I just might like to banter with you a little bit, and I do the same thing with Wick. Wick and I have actually, we have ongoing bets. I had to, I had to last season after we lost the playoffs, I had to literally send a helicopter with how many cheesesteaks to Wick? dozen cheesesteaks uh, because we had a bet on cheesesteaks. and I didn't want to squelch on my bet. So after they beat us, I had to fly cheesesteaks to him. What? Was it lobster rolls or was it cheesesteaks? Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, we got too. lobster rolls if we won. Yeah. So lobster rolls. High stakes bet. Overrated
0: in Massachusetts.
2: Yeah. Well, he got the cheesesteaks. He said they were delicious too. And I think every, everyone overrated. in the office enjoyed it and said like, yeah, you know, Michael Rubin's, you know, feeding this warm cheesesteaks because, um, you know, the Sixers <laughs> uh, did an advance against the Celtics. <laughs> uh, Thanks for coming on. This was fun. Hey, it's my pleasure.
0: All right. Thanks to ZipRecruiter. Don't forget to go to ziprecruiter.com slash BS. Thanks to Grand Theft Auto Online, where the Diamond Casino and Resort is now open. It's a one-stop destination for quality entertainment and high-end living. A range of experiences for all kinds of players. There's gambling. You can purchase a penthouse to become a VIP member. You can gain access to VIP lounges, high-limit tables, and more. Experience luxury at the Diamond Casino Resort, the latest free update to Grand Theft Auto Online. Access free with every copy of Grand Theft Auto 5. Available now at rockstargames.com. Kyle, you ready for Grand Theft Auto 6 yet? Yes. When yes. is that coming out? Yes. I think only they know,
2: but I'll be buying it. Are
0: they just going to drop it and it's going to be like a nuclear bomb in the video game industry it's gotta be
2: around the holiday season right it'll dominate oh absolutely this this game's been running for like seven years or something and people are still like going crazy still great
0: still great alright we'll be back later in the week with another podcast until then